Hello, everybody, and welcome to March. Well, I mean, still for the next handful of days, at least. And if you know what March means, March gets mad. Especially here on the Media Boat Podcast, we love to get mad in March, but we always get mad with a new bracket, just like, you know, the namesake of March Madness, you know, the you know college basketball tournament. But this is not a place for basketball. This is a place for Taylor Swift. As this year for the March Madness bracket in 2023 for the Media Boat Podcast, we have done the Taylor Swift Eras Tournament. So far in this five-episode special series, we've had the first few four parts where we've gone through every album in Taylor Swift's discography. From the debut all the way to Midnight's. And we've gone through every single song to determine which songs move on to a bracket of 16. Sweet, if you will. Sweet 16 Taylor Swift songs that will move on to a, to a uh, Elite 8, then to a Final 4, and then to the finals to determine the best Taylor Swift song she's ever written. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. And yes, we have gone through, oh God, over uh, 200 songs of Taylor Swift. 144. 144 songs. Uh, 10 albums? What are we? 10 albums. 10 albums. Yep, 10 yep. albums. 10 albums, 144 songs, just to narrow it down to 16. A sweet, a sweet and yeah, sweet. Like, like I said. Of 16 songs, and now we get to crown one. So, so how all this the, is... you think all the hard work would be done. But no. But it's not. The hardest work is to come. So yeah, it's just a recap. We've split these 10 albums into eras. Also important note, not included here are bonus songs uh, or songs recorded outside of the context of an album. These are only album tracks that we counted here. And then uh, last thing is, is for this uh, bracket, four songs from each of the four eras that we determined um, have moved on to lead to our 16 song total. So that means four songs between our, uh, uh, between the debut album and Fearless, four songs between Speak Now and Red, four songs between... 1989, Reputation, and Lover, and then four songs from Folklore, Evermore, and Midnights. So we now have 16 songs in the first in the first round here that will face off each other. We've seeded it in a way <clears throat> in a way where songs from like eras, similar time periods, are facing each other in the first round. This was to get to a final. That would be essentially old versus new. Basically, instead of, say, having too much nostalgia bias or too much recency bias. This is to avoid all of that. And I think we have a pretty uh, surefire way of determining what the best song here is. I mean, should we go through all 16 songs just to recap where we are? Yes, let's I think so. start with our uh, number one seed here. Uh, which is our song off of the debut album. We then have 
All Too Well from Red. Then 1989's Blank Space. Folklore's Betty. Evermore's Champagne Problems. Lovers, The Archer. Speak Now's Enchanted. Fearless's Love Story. Fearless's You Belong With Me. Red's Red. Lover's Cruel Summer. Midnight's You're On Your Own Kid. Midnight's Mastermind. Reputation's Getaway Car. Speak Now's Sparks Fly. And finally, Fearless's Forever and Always. Those are your 1 through 16 that will be facing off in the first round. If you want to figure out how do we get to those 16, <laughs> you have quite a lot to catch up on. And because you're living in the future, all four episodes of those brackets are up right now in our podcast feed for you to listen to. Yeah. In fact, if you're living in the current, because you won't hear this until we've uploaded all of those already. So let's, without further ado, without further context or explanation, let's just get to the nitty gritty of it. We've already paired up these face like these songs and who they will face in the first round. So let's start from the very, very top of our bracket here. We have start with our number one and our number 16 seed going up against each other. Yes. Our song and forever and always. Yes. So our song, the first one of the first Taylor Swift singles off of the first record, uh, her largely known as her first big country hit. Um, And then forever and always a forever or a fearless um i don't want to say deep cut but definitely not one of the classic hits from fearless but a fun bop another nevertheless so what's our opening thoughts between our song and forever and always how they stack up against each other well just like in the ncaa tournament you have a one seed versus 16 seed it's gonna feel a bit lopsided <laughs> yeah and i think that that's the case here as I kind of even hit to that when the intro's there, our song is a classic in the catalog. Um, a lot of people looked at it as her big first big hit. It was the first time I think people noticed her outside of the country genre. Uh, and inside the country genre, it became a country number one. Um, meanwhile, Forever and Always, it's not necess- It's not one of the singles off of Fearless. It's not even one of the ones that people remember that well off of Fearless. In the episode that we did for Fearless, I mentioned that probably the most interesting thing about Forever and Always isn't even the original recording. It's the piano version that's a bonus track on the Fearless Deluxe Edition. Um, But the fact that there is a piano version of this song and a pop version of this song goes to show you that it is no slouch. I don't want to dismiss it altogether, even though it's our lowest seed in this bracket. I don't think that... I think it still belongs here in a way. But in this match against our song, you're right. It does feel a little lopsided. Our song is a classic, and I don't know if I can say the same thing about Forever and Always. I mean, Forever and Always didn't even track on the billboard. Right. Uh, But that being said, it is a song that was inspired due to a recent breakup of Joe Jonas, where... Taylor describes the song more about a relationship of a man, or sorry, with a man who feels like, uh, who could feel like she was slowly slipping away and wanted to go back to when they they were said that it was forever and always. 
Yeah, it's interesting it, having this here with our song because they're both love songs in a different time in the relationship. Our song is, you know, early in the relationships. They're still deep in it. They're trying to figure out their identity in this relationship. And part of that is choosing a song. But Taylor, Taylor's not satisfied with choosing a song. No, no, she wants to write one. She wants to write one that's about their experiences. And I think that's a unique approach to a love song that makes it really stand out even to this day in our catalog. Meanwhile, Forever and Always, yeah, the context is interesting because it is a time and place moment for Taylor who had broken up with, you know, it, it broken up pretty badly with a real person. And she thought that, that it was like, they let that it wasn't much how she thought it was going to go, that relationship. So they're kind of apples and oranges, even as love songs, because they're a different kind of love song. Even in, yeah, but, and even like that pain that you talk about, it's not a typical Taylor Swift pain that she would write about or sing about. It does feel more like a Paramore kind of pain um, from the band. Not, <laughs> I definitely not thought the you meant. Paramore, not the concept yeah, of Paramore. <laughs> I thought that's what I thought you meant at first. I was like, what? Um, <laughs> I mean, not the only time that she'd be exp- influenced or inspired by Paramore in her career. No. Uh, yeah, but at least the chorus itself is more of the hopefulness that Taylor brings to her songs. Yeah, and they're both different kinds of Taylor songs. I feel like for our song is more like a portent of what she will do later with the more fun kind of love songs. Like, uh, whereas Forever and Always is a little hint at Ballad Taylor, where Ballad Taylor will eventually go, even though it's framed as a pop song. Um, I don't know what 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 are you feeling? What do you feel is is your uh, gives the advantage? Which which way are you swaying so far? I feel like we're both talking a lot about Forever and Always because we're not going to be talking about it later. <laughs> yeah, we're giving it its due. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is an easy choice, I think, in a lot of ways. Our song is a classic for not only just being uh, representative of early Taylor, but also, like I said, it's a unique construction. It's like not a lot of, it's still not like a lot of songs that she took a very unique perspective and it doesn't sound like anything else in her catalog. And she still hasn't done anything like it. And so, yeah, I definitely think our song has to move on. If not just because it's our sole representative here in this bracket of her debut album. <laughs> <laughs> but that's beside the point. I mean, we don't need to dwell on debut and maybe its weaknesses. Uh, but as for Forever and Always, you know, it puts up a good shot. I think it does punch above its weight. However, in this tournament... I feel like it was always going to lose in the first round. It was. I think no matter what song we kind of put up there, our other two options would have been Should Have Said No and Teardrops <laughs> on My Guitar. Yeah. And both of those from that country era would have lost to our song. I think so. But that means we get to move on to our next bracket mm-hmm. and bring out your little heavyweights here. <laughs> Uh, we have Love Story versus You Belong With Me. Oof, this is the battle of the fearless singles. Uh, fearless, of course, Taylor Swift's breakthrough moment. And a lot of that moment was defined by these songs. Uh, you Belong With Me, a aspiring love song. A love song written for somebody that Taylor is not dating, but wanted to be with. And was trying to say, hey, that girl you're with, 
I'm better than her. I actually listen to the music that you like. I get your jokes. I don't wear short skirts. I wear t-shirts. She was based, it's it's an, a great song that's very, like, it's very relatable for that moment, especially when you're a teenager and you have a crush on somebody who's in a relationship. It's It's a perfect moment in time song. Juxtaposed against here, its competitor, Love Story, which is also a song about young teenage love, but framed with the romantic, the classic romantic story where Taylor is referencing Romeo and Juliet and viewing her relationship with somebody that her parents don't understand as a metaphor, like viewing Romeo and Juliet for a metaphor for her real life experience. Um, So you have one side of it being very like, not necessarily childish, but very like innocent. And then the other side of it, you have the romantic pining, like or the not the pining, the pining's in the first song, but like the the romantic, like the more epic feel uh that she'll deal with a lot more on um on Speak Now, the record that follows this. Both, of course, are classics in her catalog. Um and definitely and both evoke a very specific visual thanks to their very, very good and iconic uh, music videos that accompany both of these songs. Honestly, hard uh, to choose between them right off the top. Yes, but we're not here to judge the music video. Right. We're here to judge the song <laughs> and the song itself. Uh, both of these reached number one on the U.S. Uh, country, hot country songs. Yeah. But it was You Belong With Me that reached number two on the Hot 100. Yes. Whereas Love Story only reached number four in the Hot 100. I mean, still, both top five Billboard songs are still a record uh, for for Taylor. Like, these were the first times she really broke through that mainstream audience. Um, But then you get, when you start talking about the sound of them, though, they branch, that's where they start branching off from each other. Uh, You Belong With Me is largely pop country, Taylor. It's a pop country tailor that will eventually go straight to the straight pop tailor. If she follow when she takes the you belong with me path, you end up with the songs on 1989. Love Story is the kind of song Taylor doesn't write anymore. This was the more uh the country ba- more steeped in kind of country ballad um tradition. But I think that 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 may actually give it some points in its favor. Love Story I feel like is maybe the more interesting song construction wise it's the one that has the the better bridge it's the one that has the key change the killer key change towards the end you belong with me meanwhile kind of remains in the same zone where it starts it doesn't do as many it doesn't have to jump through as many hoops because it's not that kind of song but lyrically though that may be a little bit more interesting just because of how much fun that it has. With You Belong With Me, you're right. It does kind of like stay kind of in the same lane through the whole song. Yeah. Um, It does pick up speed in verse two. Yeah. Um, It does feel like it goes a little bit double time uh, after that first chorus. But yeah, it is a substantial bridge for You Belong With Me as she kind of like waits for the boy to finally recognize her. Because, you know, She's been stared there the whole time. Yeah, uh, yeah. But with Love Story, it does have more of a uh, wider breadth 
let's say, because it does evoke of the Romeo and Juliet story, which every high schooler is forced to read. <laughs> it does evoke of Scarlet Letter in there of the yeah. line, which every <laughs> high schooler is forced to read. Let's talk about that for a moment, because one of the most infamous things about this song is that it's unclear if Taylor really understands or understood when she at least wrote this song what the Scarlet Letter was about. <laughs> it still makes me laugh that the, the line is, I was the Scarlet Letter. It's like, well, were you, Taylor? Because I feel like you probably weren't. At least I'm hoping um, that you weren't. Yeah, it definitely uh, brings up some questions. Um, it did then, and it still does now. That being said, it's a silly moment, and otherwise a song that, yeah, takes itself fairly seriously. And, yes, yeah, and it just takes off after that key change. Um, it's a, I feel like what we're dealing with is a very tight battle, because, like, I my gut says that Love Story is the more classic Taylor mode, because it evokes that early career obsession that she had with the fairy tale romance. Um, you Belong With Me doesn't do that. Um, and it's a brand of Taylor that we don't necessarily. Yeah, like mm, it's it's tough. It's like it's almost like you're arguing modern Taylor against fairy tale Taylor here. And it's a very hard argument to have. Uh, you're you're not wrong there uh but yeah you're right uh you belong with me will be improved upon like the concept of it of wanting to be with somebody wanting them to notice me and then ultimately i think true taylor form which we'll get to is mm -hmm. me being me and accepting me for who i am yeah whereas love story is as you said that kind of like enchantment the fairy tale taylor the um, let me take from written, established works and work them into my songs. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a very specific trope of Taylor using pre-established um, pre works into her lyrics. Mm -hmm. She loves a metaphor. She's never let yes. a, met a metaphor that she didn't like. Uh, <laughs> you Belong With Me, however, is not about metaphor at all. It's very straightforward. And, yeah, so... So that's the question. If we're we're between the two of them, are we going to go with, uh, as she likes to call it, the glitter pen song or the uh, the uh, ink and quill here? So uh, I, don't I know. think we're going love story. You're, you're thinking love story. Uh, where like what's what's bringing you that decision? I, I think that the themes that run through love story, not just the literary things, but also like the star-crossed lovers of it being like written in the stars kind of like a fate thing as well as at the end where she takes what we know as established lore in Roman and Juliet and then flips it on its head of mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to get my happy ending I'm going to get my Romeo to talk to my dad <laughs> yeah um, okay yeah I mean honestly I agree with you I think I'll go with love story as well here um, if just because of that soaring construction of that key change at the end and just the power that it gives the end of this song it's just such a triumphant end and I really appreciate that and I think that's what edges it ultimately out above you belong with me alright so love story moves on to the next round alright so 
let's move on then into the experimental era. All right. Where we have All Too Well versus Sparks Fly. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to say this probably over and over again in this bracket, but man, prayers up to all those who have to go against the champ all too well. Um, uh, Yeah, this is another one of those where it's like, yeah, of course, we're going to have to start putting our high seeds with our low seeds here. But like poor Sparks Fly. It's not a bad song. I love Sparks Fly. It's a highlight, early highlight of Speak Now. It's a great pop song. It's such a dramatic chorus. Drop everything now. It's an iconic Taylor image of just going out into that rain and kissing and dancing and just enjoying the romance while you're deep in it. Being so in love that you'll get wet out the, out in the storm for your partner and you're going to do this together. And you literally see sparks fly. That's how much you're in love with each other. I mean, she'll revisit the imagery throughout her career, and there's a reason for it. She figured out early on that that notebook-style rom-com imagery of kissing in the rain is very evocative and evokes a very specific kind of love, a deep love that she clearly always wanted. (sighs) But meanwhile... (laughs) But meanwhile... All too well. All too well is when it goes bad, and that... And it is a Taylor classic because, uh, because it, I, I mean, I don't need, I feel like we don't need to say too much about it, even though we will, because that's literally what, how podcasts work, uh, because of just, the, it's the construction, it's the writing, it's maybe the best piece of songwriting that Taylor has. And, the, and it's such a good screen, like, like a picture of the aftermath of a relationship and what do you do when you're thinking back to those moments and not necessarily regretting it, not necessarily wishing it was different, but just thinking about it and knowing it again, all too well, feeling, be reliving those moments and just be like, ugh, it was so, it was so bad when it was bad, but it was so good when it was good dancing in the kitchen in the refrigerator light. Like they're inside here, not outside in the rain, but you can still tell that at one time that love was deep for them. And now it's over. And now she's wondering where that scarf is. Like, is it still in that drawer? Like, does he still have it? All these very clear, like emotional images that she just are burned into her, etched into her mind, and she'll never be able to forget it. You could argue that some of the events that happen in Sparks Fly are also those kind of evoke like those specific moments those emotional moments that she remembers but all too well the detail in those moments it feels more real it feels darker it feels like more dramatic even though sparks fly has like the i don't know the this the 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 sunnier part of those dramatic moments as opposed to the 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 not so great moments um, again, this is a tough one because they're kind of two pretty different songs. Yes, but even when putting it up against like every song out there, there is one that kind of trumps the other. <laughs> it's not the one you're thinking of because All Too Well only hit number 80 on the Billboard Hot 100 yeah. and 17 on the on the uh, Hot Country songs, whereas so in... Sparks Fly <laughs> was number one on the Hot Country songs 
at number 17 on the Billboard Hot 100. Sure, but it's important to remember what we're doing here. And we're talking about the songs as, you know, constructions, as like how they hit us emotionally. You know, the Billboard likes what it likes. Sparks Fly works better in a Billboard context because it's a pop hit. Like, All Too Well is a ballad. It's a deep album cut ballad that I think has only gained the notoriety that it has because of the fans that have constantly held it up as a classic. Uh, Taylor's even said as much. Uh, I believe it's the Reputation Tour where she's doing, she's about to do it. She's about to perform it. And she just kind of addresses the uh, the audience and says, yeah, I this is a cla- this is a favorite of mine. And it's a favorite of yours. You guys encouraging me that how much you with how much you're saying, how much you love this song has made me appreciate it even more because she knows it wasn't a single. She knows it wasn't a hit. She knows it was largely forgot, especially in the red era in which the big hits were the pop songs. It was forgotten to her until the fans reowned it. And now it's known as the Taylor Swift song because of the work that people who loved Taylor Swift's catalog did to remind people of how great it is. Um, and it is probably the, the the turning point in her career writing-wise because starting here, she gets a lot more writerly. Folklore and Evermore owe their existence to what she started with all too well. Whereas Sparks Fly is more indicative of that first half of her career era uh where it was about these country pop constructions this very uh very specific kind of taylor swift song all too well rewrites rewrites what the taylor swift song can be in a lot yeah of but between these two songs only one of them actually won a teen choice award for choice country <laughs> song i feel like you're just and it wasn't ex- all too well i feel like you're making excuses because you feel bad for sparks fly <laughs> oh no these aren't excuses these are facts Back that I researched on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, none of that is convincing. Yeah, my gut is probably all too well here. I think this thing, I think Sparks Fly is a great, great version of that pop country song that starts with the songs on, on Fearless and then it gets evolved to I think it's perfection on Speak Now. Uh, we'll get to more of that per- per- uh, perfection later. Uh, but yeah, all too well, though, is just, it's transcendent of Taylor Swift. It's just an all-time great song. It doesn't have the baggage that I think Sparks Fly does about like being a very specific kind of genre thing. All Too Well defies genre. It is just a singer-songwriter-ass, piano-driven ballad. And this is all not even bringing up the 10-minute version, which, of course, has added to its legacy. Oh, we're not bringing up 10-minute version here. No, That's the mythical thing that we're not bringing up here. <laughs> Right, but not all too well. Ten minute version. No, but it is the seed that plants that Taylor, and yeah, I think that all too well. My gut says all too well has to win this. I'm just saying, Sparks Fly has the numbers on the Billboard. It's got an actual <laughs> award to its name. It has my very loving uh, trope of cutting the music out with "drop everything now." <laughs> And then it picked right back up with the strong demand of first saying, meet me in the pouring rain. And yes, going into the chorus and that imagery, like you mentioned, of that of, of what she's known for, of writing very imagery lyrics and at times provocative lyrics, especially when she gets to the bridge 
with that sexual tension, you know, <laughs> run my fingers through your hair, make it feel right, whisper soft and slow, <laughs> and captivated like a fireworks show, you know, which ties into the title of Sparks Fly. Yeah, but Sparks Fly doesn't have the bridge that All Too Well has. Oh, is that I mean, it? Is that just your one? Yeah, that's my one. I don't even have to read it because I already did that on the previous podcast, but it just obliterates me every single time I hear it. There's a reason why this is the song. And Sparks Fly is good, but it's not all too well. Uh, all right, so all too well moves on. <laughs> I mean, I, I you don't seem convinced, which seems wild to me. But like, as we go on, it's only going to get more difficult here. So, all right, let's stand to your okay, ground. So now that we've talked it. about one, uh, one uh, round of speak now versus red, let's talk about the other one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if we thought that was that was difficult, this one might be even harder. We have. Speak Now's Enchanted, the most maximalist love song Taylor's ever written. Huge, big drum fills, strings, orchestral swells, an enormous chorus. Then against probably the tightest country pop song in her catalog, Red from Red, which of course takes sparks fly and shine like like turns it into a diamond just like if we thought if you start with love story then you're refining that further into sparks fly then you refine that even further you get red uh so i'm i don't even know where to start with this one um we'll start with the billboard because (laughs) one of these didn't even track on it no. I'll give you a guess. It's it wasn't red. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Enchanted never released as a single. It's an album song. Um, whereas Red reached number two on the Hot Country songs and number six on the Billboard Hot 100. It's true. It's true. Well, Speak Now is a weird time for Taylor. It was not a song, it was not an album that generated a whole lot of hits. She had like a little bit of a brief period in between. Fearless and Red, where she wasn't that kind of artist. Um, however, it's funny you say not didn't generate a lot of hits, but Sparks Fly was the fifth single off of that album. Yeah, well, in the way I mean, hits in the way that the stratospheric hits that she'd get later. Um, so yeah, Enchanted being kind of a deep, deep album track. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more of a of of a hidden gem. I will give you that, especially compared to Red. Red just comes out firing on all cylinders. It is a blast. It is some of the tightest songwriting, pop songwriting she's done. Um, the you know the classic repeating, the echoing effect on Red, the metaphor and use of color that she revisits later, a lot in her catalog. Um, and yeah, like it's definitely like a really well constructed like piece of songwriting. Uh, and it's Taylor does the Taylor trope of using color to identify emotions, as well as Taylor lists things. You know, in the very beginning, <laughs> yes. like driving a new Maserati, 
faster than the wind, passionate as sin, mm-hmm. like trying to change your mind and flying through the through the free fall. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good moments of metaphor on red. The best song. Yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Enchanted is interesting in her catalog because, yeah, she kind of doesn't do something like this ever again. Um, this is big. This is big moment, like moment of desperation, Taylor. It's also one of the last times we see fairy tale Taylor. Of course, there's, a, you know, the the album lore of the original name of Speak Now being Enchanted because this is what Taylor wanted to, the kind of album Taylor wanted to write. Um, But largely because of the influence of the label and people around her, eventually the focus was changed. The name was changed to Speak Now. And a lot of that fairy tale era was cut short because Taylor was under the impression that she wanted to be seen as, or needed to be seen as a more mature artist that had more range. The Taylor that writes red and all too all, all too well largely is because she drops the Taylor of Enchanted. And, and that's not to her own like desire though. Right, exactly. And, and I think outside that influences. If this current era's Taylor uh, era's tour Taylor has proved anything, is that that's all pieces of her. She didn't really abandon it. When she does speak now era songs in this tour, you can tell she's having a blast. She is killing them just as like she used to. She's still wearing those flowy dresses because that Taylor never really went away. But professionally, I think it did have to be um, cut off short. And that's unfortunate because I would have loved to see the Taylor that we see here in Enchanted go for further because i you know i talked a lot about it on the 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 podcast we did on speak now but like i just love this song so so much it's so big it's so romantic and dramatic and it it's so perfect in that fairy tale mode of being like what if this love was perfect what if i just met this guy and it did work out and then of course that pining yearning bridge that just for me sends it over the edge of perfection that like that just like do, will he even remember who i am like do he does he have somebody else i hope he doesn't like yeah the just, lines this is me praying and please don't be in love with someone else mm-hmm, please as though uh, as our thoughts like already see that she's already seen them together yeah please don't be in love with anyone else then please just ah just that please you can tell and the way even she sings it now at the eras tour just that that emotion she puts into the please there in those final lines is just so touching to me and just so oh it just and the drums that come in the strings and just the orchestration i love the production more in enchanted more than i like the production in red and I understand that they're different songs with different approaches, but just the orchestration just does it for me every time. Well, yeah, the chorus is very reminiscent of Love Story and You Belong With Me mm-hmm. with its very, like, fairy tale melody. But the song itself combines typical Taylor themes of wanting to be with somebody, somebody hoping for a beautiful relationship to occur. And it goes online with songs that she's written about other people, this one being from... All cities, Adam Young, 
which we talked about <laughs> when we talked about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like with that, you know, this is one of the many Taylor Swift songs that don't need the context for it to be a good song because, yeah, the context is not great. She ultimately just was like, kind of ghost the dude because she doesn't care anymore, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious, but a fun piece of Taylor lore nonetheless. Red is actually interesting if you're taking it from the Taylor lore perspective too, because it's almost a song that she retcons later. We talked about this when we recorded the episode with Lover, but uh, Daylight at the end of Lover essentially rewrites Red and is like, yeah, I used to think love was red. Now it's golden. Like Taylor's had this like late, like third, like she's had this moment when she turns 30, that all of a sudden she's like, oh, I know what love is now. I was wrong before. It's not the things that I listed off in red. It's not the metaphors I used then. Maybe it's some of them, but now I see it differently. It's not this burning passion. It's this golden horizon of possibilities. And it almost makes you think, and it's interesting to have her look back at the song and the era of red and being like, I was young then, and I didn't understand everything like I do now. I'm not saying that makes Red a worse song. I'm just saying that it actually makes it, in a way, a better song because it's in conversation with the entirety of the uh, the Taylor Swift discography, that it's something that she even thinks about and will compare and contrast with her now current uh, view on love. It's a fascinating thing that I wish more artists would do, like call back to their own own previous songs. Oh, we'll get to Taylor calling back to her own songs later. Yes, we will. Uh, but yeah, Red is kind of feels does feel like a callback to Sparks Fly because they both have this like big kind of rock pop that echoes mm-hmm. between both songs, and we just knocked one of them out. So I feel like it's only fair to keep the other one in. <laughs> uh, I'm been so I'm so sad to see Enchanted go though. I am just enamored by this song so much. It'll be so hard for me to lose it. But like, I think ultimately in the legacy of Taylor songs, Red is probably the more interesting of the two. It's the one that is more emblematic of her entire career. Whereas, yeah, Enchanted burns brightly in a one time, in one era. And man, I just, I, I'm so sad to see it go, but I guess the song has enchanted you, but it's not (laughs) moving on. Ah, oh well. All right. Now let's uh, move on into the pop era here. Yeah. All right. And we start with Blank Space and Getaway Car. Okay. So a 1989 number one billboard smash. And that not released in 1989, I mean the record. Yes. And, and a uh, sometimes forgotten, but fundamental, at least for the Jack Antonoff style, uh, reputation uh, cut. Getaway car. Um, so hmm. it's funny that we have these two going against each other because getaway car owes its existence to Blank Space in a lot of ways. <laughs> Blank Space is one of the first tastes we get of pure pop Taylor on 1989. Like, after the opening is kind of like that first salvo of Welcome to New York, which is like, okay, so there's synths here. I get a little bit of 80s influence. But then, track two, blank space, all of a sudden it makes sense. All of a sudden everything clicks. Like, oh, 
Taylor's being fun. Uh, if Taylor's b- bringing that fun, um, like self-referential kind of approach that she had in her previous songs, but with this pristine pop Max Martin production. And those two things just collide in a perfect moment of pop music. I said it when we recorded the one with 1989 on it, but Blank Space might be when she might be her best pop song. It might, it's number one for a reason. It was, it's so, it's constructed immaculately. It's like why you get Max Martin to work on your song is because he knows how a pop song thrives. He knows what to do to make it work. And he pulled out all the stops for Blank Space. Not to not give Taylor credit. It is through and through a Taylor Swift uh, first chorus bridge construction as well. That classic chorus with its often, you know, misunderstood lines about Starbucks lovers. Um, complete with a little pin click sound that she does before I'll write your name. Just moments of perfection. And then, of course, the great bridge. Men only want love if it's torture. Just the way she hits that torture is just so classic and iconic. And I love that it's self-referential to like how she was viewed at the time. I love that it's Taylor commenting on people thinking that she's, you know, loving and leaving these guys and tricking them into, you know, relationships to basically have fun with them and drop them. She's having fun with her persona which gets is something that gets harder for her to do later in the reputation era. Um, Blank Space is a classic. Um, meanwhile, Getaway Car, it's an interesting song. It's a weird fit on Reputation, an album that's largely filled with rap, hip-hop-inspired sounds, dubstep-inspired sounds, Getaway Car kind of shows up and it's like, hey, remember 1989? And establishes a lot of what we hear on Lover. It establishes a certain mode for Taylor and Jack Antonoff's songwriting um, that we see more of later. But it's a fun-ass song with a great key change at the end um, that goes some wild places lyrically uses that that metaphorical style that she uses on Love Story, except this time for a Bonnie and Clyde 1920s gangster kind of vibe. Um, it's definitely a highlight on Reputation. I just, mm, I just don't know if it holds a candle to the pop perfection of Blank Space. Oh, Getaway Card never did chart in the U.S. <laughs> it did in Australia. Okay. But not here. Uh, but yeah, Blank Space did reach number 23 on the Dance Club songs. <laughs> and okay. number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Yes, that's the important thing that Blank Space did. Uh, yes, and it won't be her last, that's for sure. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, it was Blank Space was also like Grammy nominated. It won uh, Song of the Year at the American Music Awards. It's a winner of a song in every which way that Taylor gets all the awards. <laughs> it's even uh, it's even a song of its time with it opening with that kind of synth pop EDM dance music, which was big during 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the lyrics have kind of this duality to it with like 
magic, madness, heaven, sin, and it's gonna if it's gonna be forever, if it's going down in flames, mm-hmm. this very duality of this could be good, this could be bad. There's only one way to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a song that's you know, it means like you go that Taylor that dating Taylor comes with both the good and the bad, especially with the bridge explicitly saying, mm-hmm. "Don't say I didn't warn you." You know, to hammer. <laughs> she does it twice to like hammer the point across, <laughs> right? Which uh, is a but, theme she revisits later. Yes, but it also plays into her um, kind of life outside of being a musician, being an artist, in that she is, uh, she got the reputation of being a, kind mm-hmm. of like a serial dater, of uh, mm-hmm. not knowing like how how each song, each relationship's going to end. But when it does, you can make sure she, you can bet she's probably going to write a song about it. <laughs> right, exactly. And like, I love it because of the same reasons why I love you along with me, because it's a fun pop song with also a smart and our song um as well which is because they're all fun pop songs that are also really smart lyrically like they're doing really interesting things beyond just being a fun pop song getaway car has less of an argument for that it is a fun pop song that's literally leading into being a fun pop song and is using the metaphor as a framing device more than more than anything if you like try to actually analyze what the hell getaway car is trying to say it's a little blurry and it's a little less clear unlike blank space which we've more or less summarized because of how clear the songwriting is getaway car is more of a vibe it's more of a feeling it's it's yeah it's blurrier when you start to break it down what actually it means um but it's even more of it but least it knows what kind of song it wants to be though <laughs> yeah the song starts with a it's a song about a doomed romance. Like she knows this is not going to end well, and it starts with nothing good starts in a getaway car, both at the beginning and the end. Yeah. So like you, she's telling you right off the bat, like this isn't going to be a good song. I don't say this is going to be a good song. <laughs> this is not going to be a good relationship. Right. That again, this is just going to end up being doomed here. Yeah. And then and like taking like the again literary notes from Charles Dickens. It was the best of times. It was the worst of crimes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that they, they start from similar places, but I think the reason why Blank Space succeeds where maybe Getaway Car doesn't as much is because uh, it's doing something new. It's doing something inventive. Whereas Getaway Car is kind of revisiting some themes and very literally revisiting some pieces of uh, of reference, pop culture reference, in which Blank Space doesn't really have to. Um, I think Blank Space has the upper hand here, and it's not just because Getaway Car is on Reputation. So, unfortunately, I think we might be having to say goodbye to Reputation on this bracket. It's okay. It had doomed lyrics, anyways. <laughs> like he yeah. poisoned the well, the great, the great escape, the prison break. <laughs> hit you like a shotgun shot to the heart. Yeah, really. What did hit me like a shotgun shot to the heart to lose it, but. Sorry, Getaway Car, you're a fun song, a fun bop, a great pop moment in the catalog, but you're just not blank space. It's okay. Even Taylor knows it was all that great as she was riding and crying <laughs> and dying in the Getaway Car. That is that is a really good bridge. I will give it that. It's fun. But blank space is more fun. All right. Next up. Next up, we have to talk about Lover. We do have to talk about Lover. 
Uh, lover. We have a lover battle for this round here. We have Banger, Cruel Summer, Song of the Summer that wasn't, against Sagittarius Anthem, The Archer. This is going to be painful. I'm going to let you start on this one. What are your uh, initial thoughts about putting these two? We'll start where I start with the facts. And that is the Billboard facts, where the Archer reached 38 on the Billboard Hot 100, whereas Cruel Summer reached 29 on the Hot 100. Interesting. Okay. um, Neither of them, like, the biggest hits that she had. No. Uh, But... They're each in their own lane. Cruel Summer is that synth pop vibe, kind of industrial electro pop that she was going for with 1989 and with Reputation. Mm-hmm. Whereas The Archer is more of that ethereal kind of synth pop tempo, kind yeah. of more like a dreamlike ballad that yes. starts off the song before the drum, where the kick drum kind of builds up for that climax in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're both very two very different songs that we have to decide between. Yeah. Cruel Summer in a way revisits some themes from the songs we just talked about, from like from Getaway Car and some other Taylor songs about that feeling of like about being in that relationship, but having to endure the possibilities of the bad times, the in like the the moments where you're doubting it. Um but you're not really thinking about that too much when the song is playing because of just how much of a pure pop banger it is. Do I need to talk about the bridge? Of course I need to talk about the bridge because the Cruel Summer Bridge is one of the best bridges Taylor's ever written. And she knows it. There's all the footage from the from the um, Eras Tour suggests she knows when a bridge will set the audience on fire because she'll basically allude to it. She'll do intros before she goes into it and be like, hey, is everybody ready? Like knowing that everybody's going to scream the lyrics on the top of their lungs. And Cruel Summer is one of those songs. And I think it's earned. Um, It, of course, is the song that also influenced Olivia Rodrigo so much that she had to get Taylor's writing credits on Deja Vu because of how similar the bridges were. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's a moment when this song hits its bridge. And yeah, it just blasts through it and it just has a momentum to it that's like impossible. And it feels like you're in that in that zone that Taylor is in in the song. Just talking about like like the just uh just yeah, I don't even know how to really elaborate on it. It's just the bridge also just uh incorporates those distorted vocals, especially on yeah. the lines I don't want to keep secrets just to keep you mm-hmm. and he he looks up grinning like a devil. Which, yeah, you know it caps two different feelings in the bridge, so it feels like you're getting two different kind of bridges there. Yeah, and 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 of course that just that iconic. Uh, I love you. Ain't that the worst thing you've ever heard? Which to me is one of my favorite Taylor Swift lyrics she's ever written. It's just ah, oh, it just gets me every single time. And just being and the fact that she's yelling it, that is screaming it at the top of her lungs just makes it all that altogether that more powerful it's may not be her most perfect pop song that's as i said blank space but it's maybe my favorite of her pop songs and it is cruel as the name implies that this wasn't like a hit but 
the archer is its own can of worms. The archer, I feel, is interesting because it is the first moments in Taylor Taylor's discography where she's talking about herself and only herself and not in comparison and not just herself in reaction to something. The typical Taylor Swift song up to this point was, I am in a relationship or I was in a relationship. This is how I felt or this is how I currently feel. Like, this is what I was going through or this is what I'm going through now after in the aftermath. It's always to do with a relationship. The Archer pulls back that curtain a little bit and it just looks at, what about Taylor just being Taylor? What is just going on in her mind? How does she feel just being a person, whether or not she's in a relationship or dealing with love or uh, or like or anybody else? It's not about anybody else. And it acts as a pivot point for her career because this unlocks a mode of storytelling that she really dives into with songs like Mirrorball on Folklore. And like, you get to, or even Mastermind, even though Mastermind is technically about a relationship, it's about so much more than that in the bridge. And that's because of the opening up, opening up that she does here on The Archer. Like, she really goes into that dichotomy of being who she is. Being a celebrity who is also somebody who is nervous and anxious about her career sometimes, or herself sometimes. She's not always confident. And she has to pretend that she is in a lot if we're in, in order to keep her career going as it needs to be. And the archer is a portrait of that in the moment that she's having that self-doubt. Um, do you see right through me? She's asking if the world sees through kind of this facade that she puts up that she has to put up when she's performing. Do I see right through me? She even asks herself this like inferiority complex kind of thing kind of creeps through where she's even asking herself like, I think I'm like a hack. I'm not as great as I think. That imposter syndrome feeling. And then paired with, like you said, that building momentum to just break through at the end with that, again, storybook metaphor of all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put me together again. She's Humpty Dumpty in the story. She feels like she's fallen apart inside even though the rest of the, uh, even though nobody can tell, even though from the outside, she looks like perfect type A Taylor, who's been able to like stay up there and perform regardless of what the self-doubt that she feels. It's a real vulnerable moment that she hadn't really hinted at before. And it's an instant classic because of it. It's funny that both Cruel Summer and Gateway Car are kind of like in the same kind of brackets. Uh They go through the same thing of, starting with a line and ending with the same line that one being uh for the archer combat i'm ready for combat but mm-hmm. what taylor does separately from getaway car is that here in the archer they're two different meanings mm-hmm. the yeah. line in the first opening is of fighting of fighting like getting ready to fight in a relationship uh rather than at the end where she's ready to fight for the relationship and how she's described how she sees her past relationships easy they come easy they go and how she usually like jumps from the train i ride off alone well like i mentioned it doesn't even have to be exclusively as a relationship that's not how i read the song at all 
I think that is a way to read some of the lyrics, but like in general, I see it just as more general feeling that she has about her. It's about like needing to be the person that everybody sees her as. That's the combat in the in the in the. I believe that's um that she's that she's referring to. She's ready for combat because she feels like she has to be defensive because of what she's gone through and she has to defend that the the career that she's earned it. She has to prove that she earned it because as she references in a lot of other songs, you have to as a woman. Like there's that bit in Mastermind where she says like, uh, or even um, or even Mad Woman, she even hints at this where it's like you have to like women are expected to do this kind of manipulation because how else do you succeed as a woman? Like a man can just mastermind. Don't worry. (laughs) We will. And so this is almost hinting at that too, where she's like, she has to be in combat constantly defending herself because otherwise people will see through it. But at the end of the song, she realized, no, she's in combat because she has to, by the end of it, you're so exhausted going through this mental journey with Taylor that you realize, Oh, now I get why she has to do this. She presents the, what's going on, the inner turmoil, the struggle that she has beyond just relationships, just in her career, just being a person. And well, it's the ability to that's both the combat inflict, at the end. To, it's the ability to both inflict and receive pain. Being right. the archer, is she the hunter or is she the prey? She's both, turns out, as she says. And yeah, you're right. Like that combat goes two ways. She definitely realizes she's aware enough that she has broken people's hearts. Whether it's right, in a relationship, true. relationship or not, she knows she's also disappointed fans. Sometimes she knows she's also like disappointed critics, and so like, but at the same time, she's also been like the subject of, especially if you followed her career, the subject of criticism and unfair treatment, and like, so well, it does make, those it things. does allow her to go into those kind of darker things where she yeah. sings "Dark Side." I search for your dark side. I cut off my nose just to spite my face. Mm-hmm. You know, about like the heart, and it's all before the heart-wrenching like pre-chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, I wake up in the night, pace like a ghost. In the room is on fire, it's invisible smoke. Just walking around, knowing something's there, but not being able to either see it or pinpoint it. Yeah, knowing something's wrong. That feeling of mental health that I'm sure most of us have felt, remember that moment you feel like there's something not right I'm not, I don't feel right. I don't feel right. Why? Why is it? Why do I feel this way? Something's wrong. It's probably me. Um, and it sucks. And it's it's cool that she was feel, feel, felt confident enough and her artistry to write a song like this and let us peek into this inner, inner version of her story. It's the reason why I think this is the same Taylor that decides, yes, I do want to do a documentary. And that gave us Miss Americana. Like the just being able to kind of peel those layers back and be like, who is Taylor really? And the archer is our first glimpse at it. Uh so All yeah. All this I, being said though, Cruel Summer is probably hits a lot more with the Taylor things than than the Archer. I think Especially she, in terms of like Taylor tropes. I mean, uh, in yes. terms of her songwriting. She does she goes through the elements of uh, songs like talk about lines of color. Uh, lines where things are going wrong, contradictions in her songs and her in her lyrics, mentionings yeah. of mentions of both garden and fate mm-hmm. um, towards the end of the song. Yeah, yes, that that classic garden gate. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, I'll give it to you. I'll give you that. Is that there's a lot more um, 
traditional tailor. Traditional tailor or, there. Yeah. And yeah, it's a mo- it's definitely a fun pop song. But I think where I'm at is that even though Cruel Summer is probably easily in my top five Taylor songs in her entire catalog, personally, I think that I have to, that the Archer also might be in that top five and for completely different reasons. And if I'm looking at both of these as what they say about Taylor Swift, the human being, I think that the Archer has a lot more to say and is a key that unlocks the future Taylor, the storytelling Taylor, the introspective Taylor that we get that gives us folklore evermore in Midnight's. We don't get it with Cruel Summer. We do get that with the Archer. And it really unlocks the possibilities, further possibilities of songwriting for her. And I think that that may be why I think it edges out of Cruel Summer. Even though Cruel Summer's bridge, uh, I hate to see it leave. Sad. Uh, so it's a Cruel Summer as we say goodbye to it. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, Cruel the Summer. Yeah, right. Hey, All speaking right. of folklore and Evermore. Yeah. We have folklore and Evermore, and well, actually, we have some Midnight's action on this one too. Yeah, this one is folklore and Midnight's, as we're talking about Betty and Mastermind. Okay, so talk about different kinds of songs here. So we have Mastermind, the final track, the final album track, at least on last year's Midnight's. A song where Taylor basically says that she runs this joint. Not only this joint, but she has made everything happen. It's been her. She's like been behind the scenes, pulling the invisible strings, if you will, and making her relationship happen, arguably making her career happen. And at the end, basically coming to the conclusion that, yeah, I had to because of the difficulties that were put in front of me. I had to prove myself. And so I did. And also, I'm glad you're like you're with me because like you you're into it. You're into you want somebody who is a genius mastermind like me. And we're going to be a power couple because of it. It's an elaborate song. It's a like a meaningful song because it's like brings into like like it brings up the entirety of her career. Like it brings it makes you feel like it's like the culmination of a career. That's how it feels in a lot of ways. And kind of like a Taylor being like, no, this is who I am. This is how I think of myself. And this is how other people see me. Meanwhile, you have Betty uh, off of Folklore, which is a kind of the ultimate version of the Taylor story song in a lot of ways. It is a third person perspective. It's not about Taylor at all, allegedly. Um, And is the culmination of a love triangle between three teenagers and how it ends, and a story of desperation, a story of the final time feeling like you have to make up for a mistake and win somebody back with some of the most pretty orchestration and that wonderful, wonderful harmonica uh, to kind of back it up. Two very different songs, two very different feelings, vibes, and two very different tailors. I mean, this Betty... It's, as we mentioned, it's a culmination of a love triangle uh, songs that she wrote for Folklore. Uh, first one being Cardigan, and then the next one being, uh, what was it, August. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Mastermind, 
is kind of the culmination of that album. It's why it's at the end of that album. It's a, it's a way to leave you once you're done listening to make you think like, oh, is she the mastermind of everything? Um, going into some billboards here, uh, <laughs> mastermind reached number thirteen. Uh, not released as a single, but did reach number thirteen because everything on that album tracked in mm-hmm. order when it was released. Whereas Betty uh, was the third single off of the Folklore album and reached number six on the Hot Country Songs, but only 42 on the Hot 100. I mean, Betty was never going to be a hit. But Nora is Mastermind. They're both songs that are not meant to be like big smashes. They're, 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 they're more writerly in different ways, too. I think that it's interesting having these two against each other because they both uh, represent two versions of the modern Taylor approach. I feel like the modern Taylor album, like Midnight's, for instance, is kind of divided into two zones for her. It's the third person story song, like a Betty, uh, or to use a Midnight's comparison, like a, a question and then you have Mastermind, which is on the other side of it, the introspective Taylor song that, like we mentioned the last round, was introduced with The Archer. Songs that are very clearly about Taylor taking a look at her own life and identity. And so, yeah, it's these are the two main modes that she exists in. These are the two kind of uh, pieces of writing that she makes these days. Uh, and so they're kind of hard to compare in that way. It almost feels like um, I wish that for these two songs could both exist going forward, <laughs> but unfortunately they can't. Um, Betty feels like the culmination of country Taylor. Yeah. Uh, it's got the story writing. It's got the high school kind of hookup romance, the summer love mentioning in it, as well as, I mean, in the beginning, you get the harmonicas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pulls out harmonicas out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, it's a beautiful sound. It's just a feel beautiful vibe. And the lyrics are just killer. Just the whole, like, the, the, you can really see the, frus- the frustration and the, like, the, the yearning of, of the main character as they kind of do mature through the song. You're right. Where it's like they realize, hey, I, I messed up and I do love this girl and I do want to make up for it. So I'm going to do something that maybe is a bad idea. I'm going to go to the party. I'm going to show up at her door and I'm going to try. I'm at least going to shoot my shot one last final time because it's worth it to me. It's worth it. It's worth it to me to maybe salvage this relationship um, by being honest and being like telling her what I feel, Um, even if it's potential social suicide in front of her all her stupid friends. (laughs) <laughs> and yes, but that key it, change. It also does the uh, very Taylor thing of switching up the chorus, the last chorus mm. point of yes. view. Yes. Uh, going from, would you have me? Would you want me? To, I showed up at your party. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's no longer a question of, will I be here? Will I be here? Would I be here? Would you accept me? It's, I'm here. I showed up at your yeah. party. Will you have me? Will you want me? Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's... it's, Or would you tell me to go fuck myself? Right. Or lead me to the garden. The garden again, hello! Yep, the garden's back. 
It's yeah, the construction is even what she's been doing back since Love Story. And our song, where the third verse is an opportunity to reframe the story that she's telling. And meanwhile, Mastermind doesn't do any of those things. It's very much a modern, a more modern uh, Taylor song in construction. Um, what I do really like about it, though, is that it, do- it does do something interesting with the songwriting, which is it takes a concept and has it three ways, where initially she's just talking about the relationship and how she basically connived their relationship to happen, her and Joe. It's like they're together because she made it happen. And then the second verse talks about like, well, women have to do this. We are basically forced to do these kind of manipulations because we can't succeed in in other ways. We're prevented from succeeding because of biases. And then the third verse is, oh, but that doesn't matter because you were there the whole time. You knew that this was doing it. I like, I like, and yeah, it's but that's like, yet again Taylor changing up the chorus, the last mm-hmm. chorus from that's what I'm a, saying. from a question yes. to the affirmation. That is what I'm saying. It's a version of that, but it's 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 more like it's three different things. Each verse is from a slightly different angle on this on the idea of her being a mastermind, and to me, it's that evolution that really wor- makes the song work. But I don't know. Now that we're talking through it, though, I don't know if it works as well as that climax of Betty. Because not only do she does she do that move that movement in, uh, in the lyrics, she also does it in the song itself. You get that key change. You, the tone suddenly opens up. It's almost like the clouds part for that final confrontation. And we don't know how it ends. Like we talked about this a bit on the podcast we did about these albums, but like we don't know how it ends. Betty leaves it open. The end of Betty is open to her interpretation. You get to decide the fate of this poor person about whether James actually does succeed in arguing for 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 uh for the for Betty's heart. Like, and I like that. Whereas Mastermind, you get a kind of like tight little package, like, oh yeah, we're here and it ends midnight's the album really well because of that where it's like i did it um i pulled the strings we're together and it's perfect and you're basically my my perfect person because of that because of the things that we've done and the things that i more importantly have have put together and in my life manifested if you will but as betty it's more open-ended it's more storytelling um it's more interesting storytelling i think and um and yeah and just also musically one thing that we have not talked about this entire time is the production of mastermind and i think that's really telling well i like the production on mastermind because it starts with like the electro pop kind of scaling up and down before Mm -hmm. taylor comes into with her fairy tale innocence like once upon a time the planets and the fates and the stars aligned (laughs) You know, it throws back to her wishful thinking of her early years and those themes of like st- the fates and the stars and the star cross. Yeah, but she twists it by saying none of that exists. It was me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. It's a great moment in the Taylor discography of saying, hey, all those songs that I wrote about like fate and destiny. Nope. I don't believe that anymore. Uh, it is playing with the Taylor mythos by doing that for sure. But the production itself, though. I don't know if it's super memorable. You did mention that kind of scaling, which is notable. Um, There's some like 
real warm, like warmth, the warmth of the scents and it warms right words. into the chorus. Yeah. yeah. It's neat. It's but... like it's like here's this ethereal kind of verses, like, oh, everything's like being pulled, and then just yeah. woof, nope, here's the chorus, here's a, here's reality. I am the mastermind yeah. of it all. No, it, it definitely pulls you out of it. Yeah. And like snaps you into her mind. It's definitely her cool. Mastermind. It's definitely cool. It sounds good. And I like I like the production of it. But the reason why I bring it up at all is because it took us a while to get to it. And I think that's because musically, Betty is immediate. Betty is memorable. That harmonica just you can't not love it. It just it comes in and you're just like, ah, that sound and the key change and just the orchestration, the guitar in the back, the like the, the like organ hits. Like it's just such a well-produced song that gives that that really gives you that down home country small town feel without whacking your head over it. There's no lyrics about being in trucks, you know, like Taylor used to write on songs like Picture to Burn or those in that kind of era. She doesn't have to do that anymore. She knows the song does a lot of that heavy lifting for her. The orchestration does the heavy lifting for her. You get the image of this being a small town. Uh, without having to be told that it's a small town and it works in harmony so well with the song writing that i think it's on a different level than maybe mastermind is don't get me wrong i love mastermind i think just the line itself about no one used to play with me as a little kid is just brutal and it's just like oh taylor you feel like you have to do this it does bring back the the feeling of the archer where she feels like she has to prove herself because of this self-doubt that she has. So Mastermind is reminding us, it's like, yeah, but it's created, but she's almost owning it now where she's like saying like, yeah, I had to do this. It was brutal. I felt like I had to, to prove myself. But now that I have, I realized that it has empowered me. It's empowered me to put all these things together and bring these things, bring these good things to roost. And it's yeah, but the, the way in Mastermind where Taylor uses that chorus to indicate both chaos and control in the same breath, <laughs> as well as like tell, as telling us that like she wields fate. I'm sorry, but can we put down the notes? <laughs> no, no, no. I wrote my notes. <laughs> so funny. It was like, okay, all right. Like, I can always, like, immediately, it was like, all right, he's reading from the notes now. I know you're dealing with emotions in here. <laughs> you and your cold I, facts. I need my um, facts. Well, this isn't about facts, uh, because for me, this is just a gut, uh, gut choice. I love both of these songs. I really like Mastermind a whole lot, but... Betty is Betty. And it was a classic the moment that I heard it. It's going to be the folklore song that I think will be the forever, the one that everybody points out and as the classic, because it is the ultimate version of, like you said, that classic country storytelling with the through the lens of the modern Taylor Swift production. And it just sounds like nothing else. It sounds great. I like where Mastermind is coming from and I like so much about it, but Betty has the edge. All right, that brings us to the last of the brackets here in the first mm-hmm. round. 
champagne problems and you're on your own kid all right so evermore shows up here for the first time and the only time and then we have another midnight's track uh so champagne problems wow what a train ride of a song i was not a train wreck but a train ride you really feel like you're on that train dealing with these emotions and that again it's the bridge it's killer it's such a good ramp through feelings it's one of ones just like uh the cruel summer bridge where she's like she knows how much the fans love it and will quote it and will scream at the top of the top of their lungs she would have been such a lovely bride. What a shame she's fucked in the head. It just, ugh. To tear up the, my tapestry, or the tapestry that I shred. Or, ah. Yeah, but you'll find the real thing. Instead, she'll, instead, she'll patch up your tapestry that I shred. <laughs> I'll give you a good, a good example of this. Uh, the vibe that she's trying to get get at here. The very first comment on YouTube is Taylor constructing bridges better than any licensed civil engineers. <laughs> <laughs> well, she needs to construct that bridge because she does what she does best and rewords that final chorus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's that classic bit. It's just the storytelling in the song is amazing. It really starts where you know, like where she left off with Betty, uh, where she's taking that same very visual storytelling approach and going back into that into that metaphor mode. Um, your Midas touch on the Chevy door, like November flush in your flannel cure. Like it's this story that's really visualized by these metaphors. And again, that obsession with color and the feeling that different colored things like that she that that she really does well. Um then you have your on your own kid, which is a different kind of Taylor. Again, we have storytelling Taylor juxtaposed against introspective Taylor. Again in these. Um your on your own kid is introspective Taylor from a different kind of lens. Instead of just getting like the archer a view of like Taylor kind of like going through the laundry list of things that she feels like she's not you know, adequate at that imposter syndrome. You're on your own kid takes a little bit of a different uh, angle. Instead, she's almost retelling the history of her career. But the but the thing that makes that sound less navel gazing is how it ends, which is she flips it and she makes it about hope and makes it about you, the listener, and that you can do it too, even if you feel like you're on your own. Like if I did it, if I succeeded through my hardships with that feeling you can do it too and it acts as we've said in the previous podcasts as like a micro her entire career in microcosm she goes through all of those eras and talks about like how it made her feel from starting out with being in that room full of other people who were chasing the same dream as she was all the way to realizing some lessons about herself just over the course of her career and learning and growing up and looks at the camera almost, per se, and says, you can face this. You're on your own, kid. You always have been, but you can pull it off because I did too. So there are two different versions of songwriting again here. It's definitely very similar to the conversations we had before here. And just like conversations we've had before, 
one of these tracked 13 spots higher than the other one. <laughs> but it's not the one you're thinking of. Because you're on your own kid, reached number eight on the Billboard Hot 100, mm-hmm. where Champagne Problems only hit number 21. Well, I and mean... Most of that is due to because everyone was listening to the Midnight's album. Yes. So I, all the songs tracked. Yeah, the top that's the thing. The Midnight's gives us that top 10 where it was dominated by Taylor tracks. And so I think it's really hard to use. This is why I don't like love using the Billboard <laughs> stuff to, to have, because it's really not pertinent to the conversation. Uh, because of how billboard tracking has changed and evolved and how it's not like super reminiscent of hit songs on radio anymore. Um, That being said, to go back to the the songs and how they're different and similar, the the champagne problems approach is just, hey, want to peek into Taylor's like, like Taylor's diary? Here you go. Like, it's very writerly. This is quill pen Taylor, as she likes to say, uh, where you can just practically see the ink dripping off just like of the of the little quick of the little pen. And yeah, it's very it's very specific. It's very writerly. And you're on your own kid is a little bit more modern. It's a bit more conversational. It's a bit more pop leaning. But where you're on your own kid evolves from that, I think, just a little bit is that it reminds me of the construction of the archer in a lot of ways, where it is that building momentum to get to the end. Where Champagne Problems is more like a back and forth kind of meandering kind of vibe, really driven by that piano. And it is driven by that opening piano. Yeah. You know, it's got that feeling of like wedding notes kind of yeah. uh, rocking back and forth before being interlaced with those um like uh, choir vocals. Uh you know, it's it's got very like movie like elements to it too. Mm-hmm. You know, the lyrics uh, kind of begin with that uh, you booked the night train for a reason. You know, it's starting you at the end and then taking you back through the journey of the song of how we got here. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think the produ- yeah yeah the production on purpose I think is it uh, is. Um, hand in hand with it lyrically and just as it's a very writerly very um, elegantly written song it is also elegantly produced it's very much like um, you forget that class that sense of being like the, the champagne that the title even evokes with champagne problems you get that kind of thoughts about like oh these are seen as rich people problems and the person is basically the narrator is trying to prove like no like i'm actually going through some shit like this matters to me it's not it's not just champagne problems but i could understand why it looks like that from the outside and that's why you think all it is you won't even remember them you think it's a waste of your time because of what happened um but it's in that 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 feeling is like added to by the feeling that it sounds like it's at a wedding or it sounds like it's a piano at like a, a dinner party that kind of vibe is 100% on purpose for the content. Meanwhile, I think the the ramping up um, momentum that you get in You're On Your Own Kid also complements the content. Because at the same time that Taylor's career is literally going forward in time, we feel like musically we are getting shot through a cannon towards through that that timeline. We stood like as the bill as it builds, so does Taylor's career, especially where she starts changing up um the 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 chorus as it turns kind of into a a bridge where 
it goes from the da 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 refrain to a da 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 as it kind of starts going to the climax. And it's a really cool feeling because, yeah, it does make you feel like, oh, something has changed here. And it's Taylor. Taylor changed. And it lines up to where she feels like she, her career took a turn. Her love life took a turn. That when she's finally reaching like those, the, this golden era she's in with in her 30s, where she feels like she's figured it out. And the music complements that. So they both do what they do so well. And I'm having a really hard time choosing between the two of them. <laughs> oh, just like you have a hard time choosing between the last two of mm. uh, Mastermind and Betty. I think this one is also a very tough decision to make because I'd like to see both of these go through. Me too. So um, I don't know. I've, I've, I've talked a lot. Where's your gut kind of leaning here? Uh, at first, my gut was leaning towards champagne problems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it is kind of more like the the traditional Taylor song. It is more of the um, kind of Taylor things that she sings about of of keeping of a um, a very memorable setting, setting the scene in her lyrics, um, talking about like dancing your hand and dancing, yeah, uh, getting down on one knee, the Dom Perignon. Mm-hmm. As well as uh, having uh, lyrics that harken back to like kind of like children's rhyme and melodies of like one for the money, mm-hmm. two for the show. Uh, so it's and then it does the very Taylor thing of switching perspectives after the bridge. Yeah, so there's a lot of very Taylor writing tropes in Champagne Problems, whereas with You're on Your Own, Kid. I said it when we talked about it. It's the very, it's the most Taylor song that mm-hmm. Taylor has written for Taylor to reflect on Taylor's journey. Yeah, it's about her as opposed to being written like her. And I think that's the, that's the difference is that Champagne Problem is also a very Taylor song, but it's not about Taylor. And that's key. It is fully a third person narrative. It is fully, she is inhabiting a character. She is not talking about herself. And you're on your own, kid. It is just about herself. Although, with, like I said, a hint towards the listener that she truly does believe that this is advice that she can impart other people. Um, So, yeah, they're just taking such different points of view that I find them really hard to compare against each other directly. Um, So I guess it goes down to maybe this is the question we should ask ourselves. Which would we rather listen to? Like, if you were making a playlist... Which of these songs would you put on your playlist first? I would rather put on Champagne Problems <laughs> before I put on You're On Your Own Kid. But are we talking about what we put on our playlist or are we talking about Taylor's writing ability here? I think that we've talked a lot about the writing ability. And why I brought up the the, the playlist question is because I think we were at this point where like, if one of them's got to leave, maybe it should be the one that we enjoy slightly less. <laughs> because we're at this point where we both basically said they're great songs that are doing perfect jobs at what they're trying to set out to do. Um, Even though you're on your own kid has that bridge where yeah. it, in the mythos of the Taylor mythos, it yeah. supposedly breaks down her entire album and career line by line. Well, so that's the, then I guess that's another way of reframing the same question, right? Which is, okay, if you don't like the playlist approach, what I can do is, which do you think 
affects you emotionally more the bridge of champagne problems or the bridge of you're on your own kid the bridge of champagne problems <laughs> okay well because, i think i uh, might have to agree yeah because it has um the typical taylor tropes of touching on colors like you mentioned with the midas touch yeah. uh it does the taylor self-reflection which um, I make jokes. Well, it's made for me, <laughs> as well as like lyric, lyric gymnastics that she goes through uh, with uh, the line, how evergreen our group of friends don't mm -hmm. think we'll say that word again, not knowing which word you're talking about, whether it's evergreen, our group or friends. <laughs> friend. I want to say it's friend. I think it's that, our. that is a recurring theme in Taylor's writing about like whether or not they can be friends again. There's also like the self doubt in that um, in the bridge too of just sometimes you just don't know the answer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then like the alternative perspective of as you mentioned she would have made such a lovely bride, shame she's fucked in the head. Yeah, like being told that it's just like mm -hmm. ugh. So yeah, it's like just it's really yeah it's very evocative. It's very clear. You're on your own, kid. It is also very clear and evocative, but I feel like. The difference is, is that I feel like you're right. The personality, the personal part and the detail of the champagne problems writing is just that much more heart-wrenching. And yeah, I think you're right. I do think that ultimately does give champagne problems the slight advantage. But I am sad to see you're on your own kid go. All right. That does mean that um, all the favorites moved on except yeah. for Enchanted. Well, I lost that argument. <laughs> also i don't mind it losing to betty it's like that if it's gonna lose to anything i'm okay with it losing to betty or oh, sorry right, it lost to red. red oh that's right i let you i let you convince me about red uh fair enough so that is round one so moving on here our song love story champagne problems betty blank space the archer red and all too well we move on to round two all right and let's bring it uh, do we want to go to stake order then? Uh, let's do that. Let's go to stake mean, order. No, let's not do this because we just talked about champagne problems. Let's take a break uh, first by doing this one. All right. So let's go with back up to the country era with our song and a love story. And we need to pick <laughs> one song that ultimately represents this country era of Taylor. Okay, so this should be a little easier because we don't have to do kind of the intro kind of context about it. We can go straight into just how we feel about these two songs. Just cutthroat, eliminate our yes. song. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to go in. I'm going to come in right with, with my, uh, with my uh, bat swing in here. I'm batting for our song here. And here's my argument. Our song, like I mentioned a few times, is unique. It is a unique song, not only in Taylor Swift's discography, but in country music. I love how it, like how it's specifically a song about having a song. It's a song about, it feels like this song is written in medias res, in the middle of a relationship, of a specifically a teenage young relationship. One where you're just learning what love is and what it even means to be in a relationship and having, quote, a song unquote and what that means and what that represents and i love that our song is a song that is that song while being about that song it's brilliant to me and it's still brilliant all these years later 
Like, I don't know how many times I've heard it. And it still makes me smile in the same way that it did the first time I heard it. It's just such a unique idea. And I just don't understand how a brain can even come up with it. That's like how smart I think this song is. Um, Unfortunately, she she wrote it when she was 14 for a talent show. Yeah. Can you believe that? It's like goes to show you what kind of level of talent that we're dealing with here with Taylor. Um, And I love how cute, how all the details, uh, how cute all the details are in the song about like, you know, the slam and screen door and staying up late on the phone to because your parents are listening in like you don't want to make a whole lot of noise and like that that whole it just evokes such a very quaint innocent small town relationship kind of feeling and it's just cute and it's just so smart and yes it sets up that classic taylor switch in the last verse that she borrows from traditional country songwriting where now it's not about it's not from the perspective of her anymore it's like it's now from the other it's from his perspective and how he's saying like, no, you're right. This is our, this is our song. This is what it means to me. And they see each other eye to eye at that moment where they're like, yeah, no, this is our song emphasis on the R because it's the sound of our relationship. It's the pieces of a relationship. And I think it's an enduring message. I think it's enduring songwriting. The fact that it came out on in her debut album doesn't seem to matter to me. It still feels like, it could belong anywhere in her discography. It's just a perfect piece of songwriting. Want to know what's more enduring than that? Okay. The works of William Shakespeare. <laughs> and the story of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And how Taylor takes that iconic story and makes it her own. She's taking from established works and making that mm-hmm. her own brand. Yeah, she may have burst on the scene with our song, but it's love story that put her everywhere that everyone was singing that it was, yes, like be my Romeo. I'll be your Juliet. And she, and she does the, the classic Taylor. I think this is where she kind of understands the Taylor trope that we've come now come to know of switching up that last chorus, the last chorus to be the happy ending, to be the changed viewpoint, to be the, this is how I want the song to be remembered for the loud, very big and bombastic marry me, Julie, yet you'll never have to be alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The See, go, go pick out a white dress. I talked to your dad. It's the, it's the ending that she wants. Yeah, no, those are all true. That's all true. But like where I think that where love story maybe loses me a little bit is that, yeah, I find a lot of the, story like the story metaphor she's doing with with uh romeo and juliet and um the scarlet letter is it feels a little heavy-handed to me and i get that she's it's early on in her career and it's more about the vibe of these comparisons and not meant to necessarily be taken literally but the interesting thing here is that romeo and juliet is not a romance ultimately it's a tragedy and so to have her like basically rewriting Romeo and Juliet to suit her needs, it's like, no, they don't die at the end. We are happy at the end and we're getting married. This <laughs> is very funny. To me, Love Story doesn't work as well as our song because they're both ostensibly love songs. But Love Story, I think, is using the romantic cliches of Romeo and Juliet as a crutch almost as like, well, that's a love story. 
that's like like that's existed forever. My love story is just like that love story. In fact, it's so much I'm going to call the song "Love Story." <laughs> and yeah, it's very sweeping and epic. And like, I do love the key change, and I love the production. It's such a iconic Taylor s- sound that's happening here. And our song, in comparison, is smaller. It's more intimate. It's more of like kind of a banjo ditty, as you like to uh, like to call it. Um, it's not as big as the statement that she's making on Love Story. Um, but I don't think it needs to be. And that's why that intimacy and innocence is almost like what I like about our song, as opposed to the big grand gesture that is Love Story. Um, I think our song has the more kind of humble beginnings in mm-hmm. their song. Yeah. You start with that kind of like fiddle, the kind of like, oh, we're riding shotgun, just like enjoying ourselves. Whereas with Love Story, it's that very iconic intro of the guitar. Yeah. And it, that guitar just stays through the song too, all the way to the end. It gets louder, it gets more in your face, but that tune never changes. I would argue it is that more of a pop song because of it. I would argue that the fiddle intro to our song is also just as iconic, but that's just me. <laughs> oh, anyway. you want to talk iconic? We'll get to Betty later. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, for me, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying about love story. Um, it's tough because they're doing different things. I like the modern approach in this case. I don't always choose the modern over the traditional. In fact, I chose Love Story over You Belong With Me for because of because of that reason, among other reasons. But here, I just think that the, the, the idea behind our song is so sound and timeless. Love Story feels more dated to me. It feels more a time and place for Taylor's songwriting and where she was at in that moment. Uh, she was obsessed with these stories, these like time time like honored traditional stories of love. And like I said, I think it's almost hampered by it where it's like distracting a little bit for me to go back to it, return to love story and be like, yeah, I like the song, but the lyrics fall short for me in a lot of ways. But even with our song though, it doesn't end. I mean, the whole song is their song. It doesn't Mm -hmm. stop. It's trying to bring in something new to a very filled oh like well this could be our song or this could be our song like why mm. does she have to write her own song but that's the whole clever part about it is that she writes a song by just the the day-to-day things that they do together and that's so clever and so cute love story like it, like our song is inventive love story is derivative because she's literally, and I don't mean that in like, a, oh, it's derivative. I mean that in the literal definition of the word derivative. She has derived it as a like using them, like like borrowing things from other stories to like explain how she feels in her current story. And I like that our song is her building something new. Yeah, but one thing she doesn't build in our song, a bridge, <laughs> because it's small and short. Right. Whereas Love Stories Bridge is big and bombastic yeah. and sets the scene. You're talking about bridges. <laughs> well, I wasn't here, but <laughs> I know. But you've mentioned it. She builds uh, the song and that melody and that rhythm 
build up in the bridge. To, it sets up this kind of like moment of uncertainty, like especially since you said like people read Romeo and Juliet, and it is a tragedy that oh, because like it cuts out for the bridge, and it's like oh, is this just going to be another doomed romance? Yeah, but it's not. It keeps going and builds, and that question of you want to know what happened, like is this all in my head? I don't know what I'm thinking. And then he kneels down, kneels to the ground and pulls out a ring. <laughs> but again, again, iconic imagery, but it's, but it's more traditional imagery. That's like we've seen before. It I think, wasn't traditional for Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> you know what I mean though? Like the very traditional white dress, like uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet, like they all evoke various traditional visions of romance where our song is more like no our romance is something we built together just on everyday little details hey it's a love story so baby just say yes <laughs> okay i am not no i'm not letting you click that button i feel like we need a tiebreaker let's break break the glass in case of tiebreaker no is your, no 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 is we're not tie breaking tiebreaker here is your tiebreaker available to, no. to ask a quick question? No, we're I, solving this on our own. I'm not moving. I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't know if I can move off of our song, though. I I just I don't. I just don't. I just can't see it losing here. I just. Are you I, playing because it's the first card? No, that's not even what I'm doing. Like I said earlier, like I just it's it, it's not. It's it's timeless in a way that nothing else on debut is. It's where all of this starts, but that's not the part why I like it. The part why I like it is that it's creating, it's her taking a modern relationship, like a relationship, and building a new thing out of it instead of just referencing old things. And I think just against Love Story, it just bugs me that love story is so based and so baked with tradition and the old Taylor for lack of a better, better term. Well, you know, old Taylor is a uh, dead now. Yeah. But she wasn't at the time she wrote it, I guess. But like, that's this thing is that like, I would much rather return to the Taylor of our song because it's shows that she's, a kind of storyteller that doesn't need to use metaphor as a crutch. She uses metaphor later in her career, but in a different way. Instead of being just, this is, our love story is Romeo and Juliet. Later, she uses as more like, no, this is a metaphor for the emotion that I feel in the moment. Our song is where that starts. Our song is where, like, she starts building these things for herself. It's Taylor finding an identity within Taylor and writing from Taylor's perspective as opposed to writing a love song that is just a love song because of these other love stories that have pre-existed. Yeah, but that's what makes Taylor a good songwriter, is that you take stuff that's been pre-existed and make it your own. Make it a chart topper, a number four on the Billboard Hot 100. <laughs> I don't care how I charted. All I know is that, like, I just, yeah, I just can't see it moving on here when also leaving... uh, i got notes from the doctor probably love story because it made her big <laughs> although our song she has a soft spot for it oh man well 
I don't, I didn't want this to become about the facts, but if that was our tiebreaker, then yeah, like career wise, it's a bigger deal for love story. I guess fine. It edges out our song, but I'm not happy about it. It's okay. You'll be happy about the next one. (laughs) Because we're going to talk about Red, the album, and those two songs that moved on from it. Red, the yeah. song, and All Too Well, the five-minute version. Yeah, this is not even a conversation. <laughs> yeah, so if we used all our conversation <laughs> on the first, on the last uh, round. Well, we should at least say something. It wouldn't be fair to Red if we just moved on. So what I will say about Red, definitely one of the best example of country pop Taylor. Maybe the best example of country pop Taylor. She refined it to perfection on Red. And you hear that in the single, Red. It's huge. The chorus is great. The momentum you feel to get there, great. It's got a great, like, production. It's such that blazing guitar solo. And then how it drops out to this, losing you is blue like I never know. And just the da-da-da in background. The orc, like, just the, the production and the instrumentation epic stellar blows everything that previous preceded it out of the water it is a statement song it is taylor in like the version of taylor that we had up to this point it is perfection but it's also where she has her songwriting tropes mm, come into play yeah um with the all the colors that we mentioned as well as this, i think this is actually the first time where she does the first line and last line are the same mm-hmm. that she'll use later on, as we mentioned, both in like Getaway Car and uh, Cruel Summer. Yeah, it's amazing cyclical storytelling. Oh, sorry, The Archer. Yeah, it that she uses later. Yeah. And yeah. then um, the thing is, in most conversations, yeah, I feel like Red would be easy to win this, but yeah. All too well, though, again, it's the pivot point. It's the moment where Taylor is like, just like how the Archer is a pivot point and towards vulnerable Taylor, all too well is writerly Taylor coming out. Like she had hinted at it before with certain songs like Dear John that she could write in that kind of writerly mode about experiences that she's been to. But it's the attention to detail in all too well that really opens up possibilities for her and her songwriting. It's a moment where I feel like it's a really mature point of view. She's she's in her 20s and she's finally distanced. Oh, she feels distant enough from her teenage years where she's able to look back at these relationships, the hard times, the good times, and really li- relive them in really vivid detail. And that's why All Too Well feels like a lived in space more than it is just a song. Red is a good song. All Too Well is a good everything it's a good story it's a good vibe it's a good song too but on top of all that it's like it feels like yeah like just this that that you're living in and experiencing these things alongside taylor which brings it to a new level of intimacy that you don't see on something like red or arguably anything prior to all too well it's the changing point that gives you the modern era of her career it gives you the 
vibe of folklore and evermore and midnights that you don't get if she had stayed in that era writing songs like red she could still write songs like red but no longer is she just writing songs like red and i think we're probably better off for it yeah but even taylor said that she wasn't she didn't initially plan for all too well to be Mm -hmm. as big and as beloved as no as as it is now because that's because of the fans yeah, and to she me, that's is more on the line of what else was on the album with like twenty two and red, and we are never ever getting yeah. back together. And to me, I think that's why it's touching almost in a way. And she's admitted this, like I said, like she said, like it's almost better that way because it snuck up on her just like it snuck up on us, and it's become immortal because of that. It's become transcendent in her catalog. Because of how much it meant to the fans and how much it meant to her as a piece of songwriting. Whereas Red is a really good example of a pop country song. But it's not to the level of emotionality that All Too Well, I think, reaches. And to me, I think that's why All Too Well probably wins. What do you mean? Red has all the <laughs> complex emotions that Taylor's feeling. Mm-hmm. Even the song composition where it starts with like the... A small banjo where like oh you think this is going to be very simple kind of country song and then boom hits you right in the face with all the complex emotions yeah i agree but i think all too well does that better it starts a very small and then you get that momentum that ramp up towards the end of the song to that immaculate bridge to that climax and it just it takes the emotion of red and blows it up times 10 for me it takes that concept of when that you're in that passionate romance and then talks about discusses what happens if that romance breaks what do you feel like you feel like a crumpled piece of paper lying there (laughs) that's what you feel like and all too well slaps you in the face with that line and just is like this is how I feel right now. This is how brutal it feels. This is how you made me feel. It's not red anymore. The red is my burning like heart. It's no longer the passion. It's the leftovers. It's the feeling of heartbreak. And it's one of the best songs to really give you that. What are you doing? What are you doing? Stop that. <laughs> All right. So yeah, you stop that. Let's get let's move on. <laughs> No, all too well has to win that. I'm sorry. There's no way Red wins. I'm sorry. It gets eliminated because all too well has to move on. All right. So let's move on then. If we're done talking about Red, twenty the the album, <laughs> let's move on to Lover. Uh, sorry. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, 1989 and Lover. 1989 and yes. Lover. So, yes, we have Blank Space facing against the Archer here. Uh, the very pop the poppiest pop a blank space and the i was not the very emotional but the very emotional uh very personal song in the archer oh boy so what i will say one of these was a number one song yes what i will say about these two Yes, I realize that they're hard to rate against each other because they're doing very, very different things. 
I love that the Archer is our peek into introspective Taylor. I love that she's showing a vulnerability that she hadn't shown before. And I love the momentum, that rising feeling of the of the song up until that killer bridge. I love everything about the Archer. I love that it exists. But Taylor doesn't have a pop song better than Blank Space. It was a number one hit for a reason. And this is the only time I will evoke those facts. I don't care about the facts. <laughs> but the reason why I bring this up is because this was still in the era where that mattered. And what I mean by that is it was off of radio play. Notable piece of 1989 lore is Taylor didn't put it on Spotify. It was not on streaming when it launched. She did that on purpose. It was in reaction to her belief that streaming numbers were not going to be representative of actual sales, that they were stealing, that it was in a way that they weren't compensating artists, and this is still true, um, to the level that they should be compensated. So Taylor comes out swinging with 89 is like, no, it's not on uh, streaming. You have to buy the record if you want to hear it. So that billboard number one is pure plays, baby. It's sales. It's radio play. It's actual pop culture clout. I'm not saying anything that uh, bad about Midnight's when I say that. I think that Midnight's also earned those top 10 spots. But the streaming rules and the flexibility there made that happen in the way that it did. Antihero may still be a number one song, but I don't know if the rest of those songs chart in the same way if it was distributed like 1989 was. So all of that is to say that it is a pop juggernaut. It is a pop, like a pure pop construction in the way that nothing else in your catalog is. And it's also brilliant in that creative way that our song is. I do see a link from our song to Blank Space, a direct link between those two things. They're both Taylor taking an idea and making it so hers by inventing a new approach. Our song is a new approach to the love song. Blank Space is a new approach to the self-referential like like song. It was like a way to comment on her what people were very real like actually saying about her and have fun with it and make a fun pop song about the possibility of love or more accurately playing around and manipulating men. <laughs> and that inventiveness and that pop charm to me I think maybe gives it the advantage even though I hate to leave something as vulnerable and emotional as the archer. See, I thought you were going to go the opposite direction because we just went through that with All Too Well being a very open and emotional song that you do the same thing with the archer. But here's the thing with the archer as opposed to All Too Well is... All Too Well is so much more about the details and about the songwriting, which is a classical, a classic Taylor Swift strength. The Archer is more about introspective, vulnerable Taylor. And the writing is still good, but it's not as good because they're coming from different things. Like, it's not supposed to be that kind of writing. It's the Taylor that is the Taylor in Mirrorball, where it's just like, I'm bearing my soul to you right now. And I think that for me, All Too Well's version of that works better because it's more Taylor in that writing zone that she's more familiar with. 
the archer was baby steps. Like it's not on this bracket. It barely didn't make it, but I would pick mirror ball over the archer as well for those same reasons. Again, I love the archer. I think it's great. I think it's a perfect song in her, in her uh, career. And like I said earlier, it's probably a top five song for me. But the fact that Blank Space is here, like Blank Space is Blank Space, is a singular moment in her career. And it really shoots off the pop era of her career with a bang and like establish the bar that all of her pop songs have to reach going forward. We're talking, we're talking about more than just like the clout and the ability of her songs. We're talking also about her, her putting herself into these songs. If we're going to talk about love uh, of all too well, being a very personal song for her, then the Archer is the continuation of that personality and that personal songwriting put into the Archer. Whereas uh, Blank Space is more of, oh, this is what people are saying about me. So I'm going to take that as my own. I'm going to take what you think it may be a negative, the star uh, Starbucks lovers, the uh, <laughs> the ex-lovers mm-hmm. long list of ex-lovers <laughs> there you go and I... saying yeah I'm going to use that as my own take that power away from you as a negative and turn it into me as a pop dance song but I think that Blank Space and The Archer actually have more in common than you think that they do they are both introspective songs but coming from different angles Blank Space is the cynical approach she's looking at herself through the lens of other people. The Archer, she's just looking at herself as reflected uh, from other people and how that makes her feel and how she makes herself feel in those moments of vulnerability. So I think that's why I don't know if it's a the Archer is necessarily a continuation of that vibe from All Too Well. In a way, it's a continuation from the vibe from Blank Space because she's taking that... There's vulnerability on Blank Space. It's just that she's covering it up with the coping mechanism of humor. But it does hint at she's concerned about these things. She wouldn't be writing this song if this didn't get at her, you know? If this didn't bug her at all that people think this about her. She's trying to own it as a proof that nobody can get under her skin. The Archer is also... But the Archer is saying, it does get under my skin. This is how I feel about it. So I think that they're on similar wavelengths if coming at it from different approaches. Mm. <laughs> not saying you're right <laughs> i mean are you i guess if you're oh. leaning more toward the archer i understand why i do like how it is a portrait of taylor that we hadn't gotten before and it does hint towards gesture towards what we get on folklore evermore in midnight's more than Blank Space does. Blank Space, in a lot of ways, is the last of its kind, with Cruel Summer being kind of an asterisk, I guess, there. Um, it's not something that I... that It's not that, that she doesn't write songs like that. I think you could also draw a direct line from Blank Space to Antihero as well. Antihero is the modern Blank Space. There's a lot of similarities between them. But again, it doesn't soar as high for me as the chorus of 
uh, blank, blank space does. And I think, yeah, some of that I do have to give Max Martin credit for. It's definitely his sensibility. All right, um, so give Max Martin the win then. <laughs> well, I didn't want it to end like that, but yeah. I, I think, yeah, I don't, it's not that I don't dis, dis, uh, I dislike the archer. It's just that for me, the archer and blank space are just so different and so hard to compare to each other that, and the one thing they have in similarity is that feeling of like hinted vulnerability. And I think blank space is vulnerability with a style that the archer maybe doesn't. And the archer's version of vulnerability gets done better elsewhere even though we don't have those songs on this um, <laughs> bracket. On this 16. Yeah, they didn't make it, but <laughs> hey, it's okay. So Blank all Space right, moves but, on. All right, but what's not okay is that we have to pit Betty against Champagne Problems, and I'm not okay with this. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, no. Ah, uh, this is really hard. Another one of just move them both on, and we'll figure it out later. Unfortunately, we can't do that. Um, let's just let's just go in with our gut feelings. Then let's let's just try to rip off this band aid as fast as possible. I'm going in for Betty here. I love the sound of Betty more than I love the sound of Champagne Problems. It's a more complicated construction. I like the key change at the end. That harmonica. I keep bringing it up because it's so good. Um, I love the story of Betty probably more than I love the story of Champagne Problems. I love that it brings you right into the lives of these three teens. Um, Champagne Problems is an interesting story, but it's a bit more vague. It's a bit more clouded in metaphor. It's a bit more clouded in that kind of classy kind of dinner party vibe. And I get that on purpose. It is to create that vibe, is to have you asking some questions about what happened. It picks up after something has happened it's like the beginning of the song is like something has already gone down and you're left wondering what betty starts from the beginning you're like well to a certain extent it's also about something that's gone down but you don't really need to know whereas champagne problems makes you wonder betty doesn't make you wonder betty just is like picks up where like okay he's done something bad that's all you need to know like that's the important part you just have to but you're still invested in him emotionally because you want him to succeed Whereas Champagne Problems is a little bit more vague. You understand that the narrator here has been hurt and that she's feeling misunderstood. Um, But beyond that, you get really just that sad emotion more than you do the actual story details. Um, But one thing they do have in common, though, is that they're both open to interpretation by the end of it. Like I mentioned last round with Betty, I love that you don't know the fate of James. But you also largely don't know the fate of the Champagne Problems narrator, besides just being super depressed. (laughs) Yeah, That's what I like about Champagne Problems. I like that melody. I like that storytelling. It puts you immediately in this scene. There's no um, backstory that you need to listen to. Whereas with Betty, you need the other two, both Cardigan and uh, August, to get the other perspective of how we how do we get here? Mm-hmm. How do we end up with me standing outside of Betty's party? Yeah, I think the songs are both very writerly, but where they differ is in what, again, I'm going to bring that pen metaphor back that Taylor likes to say. 
Um, Champagne Problems is very much the quill pen song. Betty, though, is a ballpoint pen song, which is where she has, that's kind of her midpoint, where it's not necessarily like a fun, glittery pop song, but she's also using very modern language. Champagne Problems is not. Champagne Problems is very much like a kind of more elaborate poet, like a poetic kind of vibe, as opposed to the more traditional language of Betty. So in that way, it is kind of hard to compare because they are different. One's a modern, very clearly a modern story. The other one seems to be, at least has the vibe of a period piece. Uh, I know, as much as I want Champagne Problems to move on, my initial gut reaction was put Betty forward because it is yeah. the kind of a culmination of her story, her storytelling, her lyric writing, yes. her ability to set the scene, um, put emotion into song. Oh, yeah. And that's not even mentioning the cool part about another cool thing about Betty, which you brought up earlier, which is that it itself is a culmination of story that we heard on the rest of Folklore. The fact that it, it acts with these world of characters that you're brought to learn from previous songs from Cardigan and August is even cooler. It feels like a lived in world. Champagne Problems is like a world in microcosm. But like Betty is. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Betty is. Too bad we don't do video versions of this one. Um, but Betty is like, yeah, it feels like you lived with this. Uh, love triangle and now you're finally seeing the final results of it or are you because you don't even know at the end <laughs> so betty but we do know barely because we are on. nearing the end here in our final four at long last all right oh boy so let's get uh, all right we, we've already hit two hours on this yeah <laughs> All right, and there's three left, three more matchups to talk about. But here's or, the thing: three is, left ultimate. I'm looking at these matchups though, and I already have a clear winner for both of them. I think so too. Mm -hmm. So let's start with love story and Betty. Both okay. are love stories. Both are uh, have different outcomes for the love story. For love story, we have like a more certain, more defined. Yes, we're going to go get married, get the white dress. Betty, the ending is more, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm here, I am, standing in your garden, mm -hmm. not knowing what the fate is. But each represent Taylor Swift in a very songwriting narrative mm -hmm. perspective. I love that these two ended up against each other because I think this is the perfect example of how Taylor's evolved. And our songwriters songwriting has gone gotten better. How she's matured as a human being because it's all in the songs. Love story is innocent. It's naive almost. It's written clearly when she's young and is just starting to understand what a relationship want and relationship goals are, like what she wants to have in her love life. And she's using this on the template that she had been given by society around her. The Romeo and Juliet stories of faded lovers that feeling of like the storybook fairy tale romance that she loves so much in the early part of her career then we have betty she's now in her 30s she's seen relationships so here's her opportunity to write a teenage relationship 
as it actually looks like in real life, not one of story tale, story tales, <laughs> not of storybooks or fairy tales, but one of real lived experience, one where you just, you mess up and you have to face those things. You get anxious about seeing somebody and you have to go. You have to prove yourself. It's still romantic. There's still a romantic gesture happening at the end of both of these stories. But it's not one that relies on what you've been told by society. Instead, it's one that you do because you feel in your gut, in your heart, that it's the right thing to do. It's a literal evolution of what Taylor thinks love is, what an act of love is. No longer is it simple as, well, we got along and then we loved each other and then we got married. No, throw that out the door. She now understands it's more complicated than that. And Betty is proof of that. There's a See, this is why I wanted Champagne Problems to move forward. Because <laughs> in one, we would have had love story of her saying yes yeah. and Champagne Problems of her saying no. But I like this juxtaposition better. I like this as a better because it's a clear evolution of her storytelling. And that's why I think Betty wins is because it's a more realistic it's more realistic, but still feels lived in. It still feels real for a teenage relationship. My problem with love stories, it doesn't feel real. The motions do, but the 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 parts of it on the fringe don't. Like a real love story is the story in Betty. That's what real teenagers have to deal with. Down what to teenagers don't want to deal with. No, no yes, one wants to. They... No, but that's the that's the thing about Betty and the thing about having a fifteen year, yeah, uh, gap between writing teenage love stories is that you yes. can have that maturity, you can have that reflection, you can have that oh boy, look how stupid and silly this I thought this was. <laughs> Whereas with love story, it's it is it's in the moment. She's writing it yeah. as a teenage love story yeah. because she is a teenager yeah. in love and doesn't know all the complexities that come with it. She's feeling the right. one feeling of I'm in love. I want this love to last forever. Yeah. Not it's... I'm in love and oh no, like nothing can go wrong. Yeah. Or I don't want anything to go wrong. And then have to face everything that goes wrong and the hardships and the bumps and yeah. the bruises that come with it. It's the thing that you only learn from experience and age, which is the difference between idealized romance, love story, and real than the real but what actual romance is in Betty and the fact that we get to live that the same writer brought us both of these things over the course of their life that never happens you never have somebody who writes a book very rarely at least who writes a book at age uh 18 and tells you what their version of love is and then a book at 30 31 and says, no, this is now what I realize what love is. But Taylor is in a unique position because of how long she's done this, where she did exactly that. All right, so Betty moves on then. Yes, Betty takes its place in the finals, All as right. it should. And we have two heavyweights of two yes. different yes. writing styles of Taylor uh, Swift. Yeah. All Too Well and Blank Space. Oh, this is painful. All right. So before before we kind of go into where I think you're going to go with. Yeah. I want to say that I don't think Taylor Swift gets the stadium tours. Mm. I don't think she's the big as the name that she is. That she is like where her career takes off trajectory wise. 
especially in pop music. She gets none of that with All Too Well. It's all from 1989, and that's from Blank Space. Yeah, I agree with you. But that's not that's ultimately not what I feel like this this bracket is. I don't think that the song that wins this is the biggest song of her career. And then I don't think it's like the most important song of her career. I don't think that's what we're arguing. I think All Too Well and Blank Space are both super important for her career in different ways. But ultimately for me, I think it comes down to the way that these songs make us feel. And in both of these cases... I love how these songs make me feel, but they make me feel two very different things. Plank Space is such an immaculately crafted pop song. It just makes me so happy when I hear it. It's a total banger, and it's something that only Taylor could have come up with, could have invented, and come and could have performed in the way that she did it. It's perfect, and I love it in all possible ways. But and that's why if, it's moving forward. No, but at the same time, I also feel that about All Too Well for different reasons. All Too Well, also impossibly crafted. I don't know how you write a song like this. I just don't you know. You write a 10-minute version, and then you edit it. <laughs> right. That's how that happens. <laughs> it's just such a huge, epic piece of songwriting that doesn't feel like it overstays its welcome, even though it's pretty long, even it's an original version. And, like, it's just it, the moment, the sense of momentum it has and the way that it just tears you to pieces by the end of it is just like no other song for me. It doesn't it doesn't it does something that no other song does. And so I think it's also a perfect piece of songwriting, but they're so different that ultimately, if I have to look <laughs> at what I think this bracket should be. Is it should be the two the in these finals should be the two songs that for me are the most emotionally resonant songs in her career. And for me, those two songs are Betty and All Too Well. Yes, but this is also song writing. This is taking emotions from all spectrums, both the good and the bad. And that's what you get with Blank Space. You're getting both the good and the bad from Taylor. She even says, I don't, you say I didn't warn you because this is going to come with both the good and the bad and it's a pop and it's a bop and it's a loud bombastic. (laughs) It is a stadium anthem. You don't get that with All Too Well. It's more of a personal song. It's more of a self-reflection. It's I have all these emotions and I need to get them out of me onto paper, onto a guitar. And even when she did that, she still didn't know how to deal with those emotions. Very <laughs> complex, very real mm-hmm. emotions. And I think that complexity and that mystery to it is why I like All Too Well more. I think Flank Space comes from a very specific zone, but also comes like a, from a cynical zone. It's a commentary on her career in a lot of ways through that lens. Like I said, that coping me- mechanism of humor. Where all too well is her really sitting with a feeling and just feeling it for a while. It's like what all therapists tell you tell you to do, right? Is like you can't just dismiss it and use coping mechanisms to just toss an emotion out the window. That's bad. It teaches you the wrong lesson. What you should do is sit with it, feel the emotion fully. And that's what all too well is. It's a song about feeling something, going through 
a breakup and reliving the experience and sitting with it with a glass of wine, preferably, and just really thinking about it and just be like how it tears you up. And yeah, it makes you feel like shit for a moment, but there's a catharsis to that shit feeling, you know, like there's that that you get the, the end, the other end of that. And it's beneficial to you as a person because you're able to move on from it. She knows it all too well, but she knows it all too well. That's the great thing about that, that, that's that title and that, that refrain is that there's two ways of looking at that. There's the negative way, the depressing way, which is, ugh, I go there all the time. It makes me feel like shit every time and I can't forget about it. But the other, t- other side of that is, is, yeah, but I can conquer it if I live there for a while. If I live there, if I know it well, I can protect myself. I can build a version of myself that's not that person who was destroyed by that who was that crumpled piece of paper? If I live there long enough, I can move on from it. So yeah, it's a more complicated emotional story than blank space. It's existing in, in a way more cloudy kind of version of the human emotion. And I get that blank space is, yeah, it's a more clearly, like it clear it shows its cards more quickly. It's very much like, yeah, I'm going to give you if you're going to get in this relationship with me, I'm going to give you good times. I'm going to give you bad, but ultimately it's more less of that. And it's more of just a commentary. I'm like, and, but they think that all I'm getting, all I'm doing is bad. And I'm, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm, I'm manipulative. And I like that. And it's a creative version of doing that. But for me, it's just not going to touch the, the depth of the content that all too well does. Yeah. But we're talking about the five minute version here. Not the. I am also talking. That is ten minute version. I am also talking about the five minute version here. I think the smaller version of the song does that too. I would maybe even argue that it does it better than the ten minute version. I like the ten minute version, but I think that all too well is more concise version of the same feel, and thus I I think it succeeds better in that goal. I love blank space. But it's just all too well is the Taylor song for me in so many ways. It's the a great example of how detailed and specific her songwriting can be. And to me, I think by at the end of the day, this ultimately comes down to which Taylor do you enjoy more? I like introspective emotional Taylor, I guess, slightly more than I like pop star Taylor. And you're free to have that opinion on your own time. <laughs> oh, come on. Like, opinions aren't going to come into this. This is going to be super biased, and you know it. Okay. Well, speaking of it being super biased. Well, don't just move past without, like, saying that like that you've made the decision here. Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, after you've gone on your own 10-minute journey of All Too Well. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is moving on. Um, yes, as much as I would like to see Blank Space, a pop song, go up <laughs> against Betty, nope. I think that ultimately when you're talking about Taylor Swift and her writing ability and her lyrics and yeah. her as a songwriter, yeah, All Too Well does trump um, Blank Space because it is the more personal song. Hey, but Blank Space, let's just say it right here, though. Honorable mention blank space. It's like well, it, this... it takes the third spot then. Oh yeah, it definitely does because for me, like uh, of all those that from the four that we just went through, 
mm-hmm. our, our final four, like Play Space is definitely a hard hitter and probably to me is the better song than Love Story. Um, so yeah, I it it's here in spirit. Okay, but here in reality, <laughs> we have talked to death these two songs. We have. And they both represent a very dichotomy of Taylor Swift in songwriting. Yes. In one corner, you have the teenage romance. You have the storytelling. You have the, uh, here is the lyrics. Here is the imagery that I want to show that is Betty and even show in a culmination of a story, a trilogy of love, love songs culminating in this love triangle to Betty. In the other corner, <laughs> we have the most personal song Taylor has ever written. The one that all the critics continuously praise about, not just us here, uh, but also the one that is driven by the fans, one that the fans have taken to call their own and taken to say, this is the Taylor that we want. This is the Taylor that we've seen in her previous albums that we know that she can write. And we, the fans, propel this song to being the top song for Taylor Swift in All Too Well. Mm -hmm. So I really like this matchup. I think it's very, it's good matchup for me because I'm like, yeah, no, it's like Betty is almost where, like a, a version of like where she's at now. And then all too well is how she got here. Is that That's what it feels like almost like two periods, different periods of her career where like she was just figuring out the kind of writer, songwriter she wanted to be. And ultimately what that looks like now with the benefit of hindsight with her being able to look back at her songwriting career and be like, what the kind of stories that I want to tell now with my experience, with my lived in uh, tailoredness of it all. Um, I'll let you uh, start with where are you kind of leaning between these two songs? Uh, So I'm leaning more towards Oh, God, I don't even know which way to lean in this. I know, it's hard. Like, I want to lean towards Betty because it is that singer-songwriter ability of Taylor. The, I can write a love song about anything. It doesn't have to be real, but I can impose real emotions into this. This doesn't have to be an autobiographical song, but I can make it feel that this is happening to me. I can make this feel that this is happening to you. That's what makes me lean towards Betty. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, mm-hmm. you can get very autobiographical. You can get very inside baseball, inside look into Taylor Swift and what she's going through, how she's feeling, all those emotions in all too well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much exactly where you're at. I agree with all of that 100%. Think Betty, what makes Betty an interesting song to consider here is that you really get wrapped up in the narrative. And I think some of that is helped by having those characters and scenarios introduced in previous songs on folklore. So I do think that it should be mentioned at least that it involved because of that context, it is helped by its position on the album with those other songs. 
It is but standing think, on the shoulders of Cardigan yes. and August. But I also want to say that, with, but, but with also saying, I don't think that that's to its detriment because I do think that it can still stand alone. I don't think you need the context of those to still be emo- feel the emotions that you want to feel in Betty. I feel like that story still does a good job. And that story moves. That story really, it does a, such a good job of putting you in the situation. And the way that the songwriting just complements the instrumentation there's constantly new instruments happening throughout betty like different like lines will come in like oh there's a piano there's that harmonica there's so many like they're like i hear a little fiddle in the background it's like there's constantly new things popping up in the background of betty that go with the things that happen to the characters like the like the like the little bridge it's like where she he gets into the car and he's and there's that oh that that piercing line about like he slept next to her but he was dreaming of betty all summer long like those little like details are accompanied with those instrumentation little hits to like keep that momentum going to keep that storytelling going and by the end of it with that key change it feels like this triumph even though again you don't know if that character if james did triumph you don't know like you are left wondering, but you get that feeling of triumph. You get that feeling of the thing that you that James said that James was going to do. They did, and and they did it, and that was a triumph on its own. Um, I love that. I love that it's just this really moving story throughout, and it just sounds beautiful. The production is wonderful, and it's just a piece of perfect songwriting. But all too well is all too well, which is no why buts. this is no buts. You uh, just ended on that. You don't say but all too well. I'm sorry. That's the thing is though. I gotta talk about all too well. Like for all the things it does well too, it doesn't need that because that I feel like that movement is antith- antithetical to what its meaning is. Like I said last round, all too well is about sitting in that emotion, and so it doesn't go anywhere. Even the instrumentation feels like. The vibe is stagnant. It feels like you're stuck because All Too Well is a song about being stuck, feeling stuck, not able to get away from that feeling until you're ready at the end of it. You feel finally that catharsis. And that catharsis is earned, though, through trial and through scraping out of it. And that's what that climax, that's why that climax is so powerful. That's why that bridge is so powerful because it is the feeling of Taylor finally sitting in that emotion so deep that she lets it get to her again it's the songwriting equivalent of starting to just bawl your eyes out she's just the vitriol in those words the way she hits those those consonants of crumpled piece of paper it's just incredible feeling of just anger and regret and sadness all wrapped up in just a handful of words. And Betty doesn't have a moment like that because it's a different style of songwriting. Betty is a story that has moves from point A to point B. All Too Well is a story that stays at point A and doesn't move because that's what it's, that's the whole point. Oh, but I like songs that move and ebb. Yeah. And flow. Yeah. And Betty yeah. does that. It does do that. It does do that. You're not wrong. Another angle we could look at it is um, 
how it represents her songwriting in an evolutionary way. Um, All Too Well is an evolution of a songwriting that I mentioned earlier on the podcast that kind of starts, that has seeds in songs like Speak Now's Dear John, where she's very clearly like, I know I'm going to tell a story with all these very specific details about this experience, this lived-in experience, and by the end of it, you're going to feel like you've been there with me. Um, so it is in itself an evolution of a style for her. She's taking the most writerly aspect of her skill set and just pulling out all the stops for all too well. And it's the first great example of Taylor in pure songwriting mode. Betty, meanwhile, is interesting to look at from that perspective because it takes the lessons even learned from all too well and takes that under its wing and combines it with all the rest of her career. At this point, when she writes Betty, she's gone through that pop era too. So she also has an ear, a newfound ear for not only that songwriting skill, like that lyric writing skill, but also for song construction too. And that's why I think you have that momentum with Betty. That's why it moves in a different way because Taylor's taking had taken notes from her previous experience writing pop songs like Blank Space. And you can see the way that there's the construction and especially that bridge, the way the bridge moves. The bridge in Betty moves like it's moving in uh, in one of her pop songs. It doesn't move like it moves in one of her traditional things. And that's what's interesting about the folklore era specifically, is that even though it sounds like alternative rock or indie pop or indie indie rock in a way, it is definitely also a byproduct of her pop sensibilities as well it just doesn't sound pop and also i feel like we would be remiss to mention here that both of these songs had other people's hands in them uh liz rose who was uh taylor's co-writer for a lot of her biggest hits for her first handful of records is a credited co-writer on all too well and then betty has aaron desner's production and it's got a lot of aaron desner in it so I feel like we should mention that as part of this conversation, that there is an element of Taylor versus Taylor here, but also those other producers bring their pieces of experience and songwriting experience to these songs as well. Um, it's, yeah, it's almost like picking it's, two of my children here. This is tough. Yes, but we have to pick Betty overall too well. <laughs> And why do you say that? Because Betty is the culmination of every era of Taylor Swift. Wow. You start with the harmonicas representing the country era. All right. You go through that pop era, especially in the chorus of Betty, where it is seems very poppy, very back and forth, A, B, A, B type of lyrics. You go through that experimental era because it is a song going through all the different emotions. Like you said, it goes through red and all too well and points it through into Betty. It's a very culmination, not only of that, but also something that propels her through because you get more of Betty in that songwriting and that style, that lyrics into the following albums of evermore and midnight's especially in songs like Maroon and Champagne Problems, where she's telling a story. She's telling parts of not just herself, but this 
Im imagery that possesses the song. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That is a good point. I think you're right. Um, it is like a, it is a culmination and a synthesis of a lot of where, what brought her there. Where I struggle is, is that for some reason, I can't for the life of me say that Betty is her best song. Because I don't know. I feel like All Too Well is still just so the raw emotion for it goes past the raw emotion that I feel in Betty. So do you want synthesis or do you want raw emotion? Yeah, and that's, I think, where I'm at is I can't really decide which one matters more. What I will say, though, is this is not just my bracket. So I will ask you this question. Are you more emotionally affected by the ambiguous culmination of Betty, that feeling of triumph, that feeling of getting past regret, that feeling of winning back a lost love, apologies, apologizing for a mistake? Or... Are you more emotionally affected by All Too Well's story of feeling the feelings that you felt in a doomed relationship, sitting with it long enough to maybe feel some catharsis from it, but knowing that you'll never truly escape it, but maybe you can learn some lessons from it in that kind of dark night of the soul kind of way? And this is the main, I, this was funny you bring this up, because this is actually the yeah. main difference between how you and I hear songs, uh, is that you hear it through the emotional lens, and I look at it through an analytical lens, <laughs> where, where, yes, based on emotion, All Too Well is the more emotional song, mm -hmm. it is the more gut-wrenching song, it is the more, why, Taylor, why, let me hug you, let me make you <laughs> make sure everything is all right, I'll yeah. let you know, like, come here, whereas Betty is, has more of those Taylor tropes that we talk about, it has more of the analytical um, writing that Taylor's known for, where it has the switch of the chorus, it has the build-up in the bridge, it has uh, references to the garden, uh, to previous songs, to asking questions, to wondering, uh, talking about teenage and romance and relationships. Mm -hmm. Where she got her start, where she she's known for. But yes, in terms of like emotion, all too well hits all the strong emotional beats. I just had a flashback to when we were doing our Pixar bracket. Yes. And we could have played a you could have played a, a drinking game to that podcast. And if you take took a drink every time we said emotional gut punch. <laughs> it brings me back to that moment, this conversation that we're having right now. Because yeah, I am largely basing this on that emotional gut punch. I think all too well has a bigger one than Betty. If so we're if we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. That's how I and feel. You know we are. But I understand where you're coming from. And that's why I brought that up, which is like, I understand this is not just my bracket. This was my bracket. This would be all too well in a second. But because I... I've been fighting tooth and nail this entire time, <laughs> trying to make all too well not <laughs> the song. 
Yeah. It's not that because, it, and I understand that it's not because you don't like it. It's just that from your perspective, and that's what you've been doing a good job of explaining, is that Betty does that and then also does this other interesting meta things. You're saying that it has an emotional weight to it. But on top of that, it's also a culmination and synthesis of where Taylor's story has gone and where her storytelling ability has evolved and her songwriting ability has evolved and all of those things and production too. Like all of this stuff is shown in Betty. And yeah, and for the sake of a bracket in which we set up, set off to decide which was the best song of all her eras then yeah, I guess that is a pretty strong argument for Betty. Because yeah, as much as it pains me to say it, All Too Well does one thing very, very, very well, in my opinion, the best. But Betty is balancing a couple of plates um, at the same time. And it is kind of an impressive feat. And it does feel like the end of a path. Not necessarily the end of a path, but at least where we're at in the path of Taylor's life. And I think that does make it an interesting winner. Yes. Now, is it right to award a song that essentially becomes a jack of all trades, or award the song that the song that is the master of the one thing she is basically perfect at—that is writing, yeah, herself into a song. And again, I think that's where we disagree because I think that is ultimately where I land. My gut and my heart say. We should award it truly to the one that does the one thing really well. That's always what I usually go with. And that's why I personally give it to all too well here. However, what I'm saying is, is you made an excellent argument for Betty and I could understand your point of view. And so it really depends on what you believe this bracket should be. Because uh, I mean, I've I said think... my piece. I, I've <sighs> said that I think it's ultimately to me if that goes back to that and picks our emotional gut punch. Whereas, you're, like, and you're right, that... and you're hitting me with history and lore and precedent, <laughs> and goddamn, I hate you, but yes, all too well, fine. I didn't mean for that to happen. I was trying. I was trying to agree with you. Okay, well, you... to Betty. That's fine. <laughs> no, you already pulled the trigger. You, this is already what happened. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> your winner of the Taylor Swift Eras Tournament. Is all too well. But wait, we're not done here because while all too well may be the winner, we still have yet a lot to unpack here of how we even got here. Uh, other <laughs> songs that maybe we wanted to see in this Sweet 16, um, other stuff to talk about, and that will be happening on a special one-hour bonus wrap-up coming later. Yeah. But for now, Taylor Swift's um, All Too Well is has and will be the number one song that she has written <laughs> until she writes a better one. I was going to say, until we do our uh, bonus track bracket in which the finals will be uh, will be New Romantics versus All Too Well 10-minute version. Tune in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't worry. We're not doing that. Anyway, thank you for joining us. That has been the 2023 March Madness for the Media Boat Podcast this year. Join us next year. Oh, yeah. And then that bonus episode, yeah, like we promised, will be in your feed soon. So look forward to that. 
In the meantime, we will return for a regular episode of our podcast with every Saturday. So check your feeds for that. And then we will turn next year, next March, for a new bracket of something completely different. So look forward to that. Uh, and congratulations to you yes. for surviving this <laughs> entire bracket with us. Yes, for listening thank to this you. Song. Thank you. Uh, I need to decompress by throwing some baseballs in the show. All right. <laughs> uh, we will talk to you guys later. Thank you for tuning in. And yep. be on the lookout for that upcoming bonus wrap-up unless you're in the future in which case you can listen to it right now bye